Who is Matt Bainbridge? This is a question I've asked myself many, many times before. Uh, no, Matt Bainbridge is a uh, professor at Towson University. He's not someone that I had when I was there, but uh, Fernando Madrigal, frequent guest on the uh, Debatable Podcast and a and, uh, friend to the show. And he used to have his own podcast called Print the Legend. Um, it is now, unfortunately, over, but uh, it, it was a great show when it was on, and it's still a show that I go back to. It's some of my favorite favorite uh, talks and conversations were on Print the Legend, and one of them, uh, probably one of my favorites, uh, was uh, Matt Bainbridge. He was a um, professor that uh, Fernando had when he was at Towson University, and this is really kind of a this is kind of an origin of Matt uh, story. They uh, they go on tangents. They talk about sports. They talk about films. Uh, where uh, Matt uh, got his uh, his passion for film. And uh, this is really uh, uh, a perfect time to bring it in since Matt is going to be joining me next week for our pod crawl. Uh, I mentioned it uh, before and I'll uh, let you know again, a quick plug for it. The pod crawl is next week. We are doing uh, Christoph Kieslowski's Three Colors Trilogy, The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, ggtmc.com, and iTunes. We'll be doing uh, Blue, uh, The Debatable Podcast will be doing White, and The Gobbledygeeks, gobbledygeekpodcast.com, and the iTunes will be doing Red. The first part will be on Monday, March 10th, Debatable will be on Tuesday, March 11th, and Gobbledygeek will be on Wednesday, March 12th. So join us for our Trilogy Pod Crawl. It's a very special uh, event. And uh, so, uh, getting right into it, Matt Bainbridge on Print the Legend podcast. This is from July of 2012. It's a rerun, but man, is it a good talk. Print the Legend, Matt Bainbridge, Fernando Madrigal, today on the Debatable Podcast. Bainbridge. He was uh, one of my first film professors. A very interesting guy, very talkative. Uh, we talked, uh, this goes all over the place. We start on Detroit sports. We talk family. There's a little bit of dating in there. Uh, we talk about his love for monster movies as a kid. Uh, <laughs> we randomly uh, get into uh, Independence Day versus Mars Attacks, which like apparently came out in the same year. I forgot about that. Uh, then uh, we get into Prometheus. We get into the racism of the Transformers movies, which yeah, the the he, he tries again because because I said the first one wasn't that bad. It's only because I hadn't seen the majesty of racism in the second one yet. Um, and then we talk about a short film. He's actually working on a short film. He did a prior short film, and he talks about the experience between making that and making the new one. Sort of. Uh, Pretty, pretty much doing everything right for this second installment. Um, so yeah, so here it is, Bainbridge, very talkative. Uh, so here, enjoy.
Good to see you, thanks, sir. Thanks for taking time out of your Sunday afternoon. Oh, no? please. I would just be wasting time. <laughs> the, if it were NBA season, I'd probably oh, be God. angry about it. But how, right now... How are your Pistons looking? Bad. <laughs> they had a run there. Uh, uh, well, I think that was before I knew you, because I was like 04, 05. That was so right. right now. I mean, you know, I, Joe Dumars could do no wrong, and now he can't do any right. Uh, um, is basically how that goes. Well, well, Hall of Famer Joe Dumars. Okay? Oh, no, no, no. He's he's still a saint, and uh, he gets anything he wants in Detroit. Yeah. Uh, but. Uh, Honestly, we drafted a center who everybody is politely describing as a an athletic freak who um, yeah. doesn't know how to play basketball yet. So that's right. Yeah, it's a project. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's like okay, in four years we're going to be dominant as long as he doesn't <laughs> blow his knee or discover Detroit nightlife. Oh, oh yeah, Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how do you how do you feel about uh, Isaiah's uh, post post playing career? Because he's he's taking a lot of. Lumps. Thank God we went with Joe Dumars and not Isaiah. Uh, um, I actually. Yeah. Actually, I actually, it was the weirdest thing. Uh, on my prom, um, the limo driver knew Isaiah Thomas, okay. and, and we gave him an extra 20 to take us to Isaiah's house, <laughs> and, and and he drove us to Isaiah's house, and we actually got, Isaiah came out, and we went, and t- I hung out with Isaiah Thomas for 20 uh, minutes on my prom. <laughs> nice. Yeah, back I mean, when we were still playing. Yeah, but, uh, I figured that, that helped uh, loosen the old lady up, huh? <laughs> Not the old lady I took. Uh, uh, the old yeah. lady I took, I don't think knew who Isaiah was and was more or less irritated that we. It's like, why are we twenty minutes to like out of, out of the way? Yeah, exactly. It's like, don't yeah. worry, you're not going to dance anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that uh, that dream team doc was was interesting because they get to the Isaiah part and nobody wants to talk about him. How he got, how like everybody uh, was like, we don't want to play with Isaiah. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, the, my favorite story on that is um, essentially what happened was. Uh, they everybody hated Isaiah. He was considered shifty and political, yeah. and uh, they were having the rivalries with the Bulls. and And MJ didn't want anything to do with Isaiah Thomas, and essentially. Uh, they left him off, uh, which and they put John Stockton on, and, yeah. and people still will tell you that John Stockton is better than Isaiah Thomas. And uh, again, my argument is that you know if you're not on crack, you should be if you believe that. I've seen them both play personally, <laughs> and Stockton was great, but he's no right. no Zeke. And in fact, what happened was Isaiah was so pissed about it that he threw up 44 on Stockton the next time they yeah. played. And then the time after that, he was he had like twenty, and Carl Malone t- did the biggest cheap shot in the history of the NBA <laughs> to the back of Isaiah Thomas's head and took him out. Which is my own NBA conspiracy theory, which is that Carl Malone can never r- win a ring because of that. Oh, okay. And yeah, in yeah. fact, when he tried to, was the 0-4 Pistons when he was with the Lakers and right, he right. lost. And what made it even sweeter. His daughter was playing for at the time the Detroit Shock, yeah, coached yeah. by Bill Lambeer, who won <laughs> yeah. the WNBA won title. The WNBA, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, as far as I'm concerned, Malone is never allowed to win anything, <laughs> and uh, he can go to hell. <laughs> well, I, I didn't know this podcast was going to start off with uh, a nice five minutes on Detroit Pistons history, man. So, <laughs> I'm here. I'm here with uh, with one of my old teachers, one of my old professors, Matthew Bainbridge from uh, Towson University. Uh, as you can tell, Detroit native, uh, big big Pistons fan. 
lions at all? Or? Oh, I love the lions, okay. although it's so hard because I feel like a, a, a battered spouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, um, rooting for the lions is um, is basically like volunteering to stick your hand in a meat grinder every <laughs> Sunday, and everybody's like they're finally good, and it's 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 again it's like the battered battered human being syndrome because yeah. you've been hit so much you still don't believe it. It's right, like, right. It's like it's like they look good. I'm like. I don't know. It's only ten wins. Next year they're going to win three. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, um, and, but the, I like the coach. The coach is kind of fiery. Like you can tell. Like if you get under his skin, he's. I, I mean, no, no. Everything the Lions have done in the last couple of years, outside of this year's draft, which was horrible, right. uh, has been good. Yeah. And uh, Stafford is apparently legit. Uh, Calvin Johnson uh, basically is already a Detroit football legend. Oh yeah, it's like, like yeah. Months, like him and him, Barry Sanders and Alex Karras. That's three. Unfortunate <laughs> uh, uh, um, to those uh, Sanders teams with Morton and uh, and uh, oh, Herman Moore. Those and, were good times. Yeah. Run and shoot. Yeah. yeah. Oh, happy days. Yeah. Uh, um, and I'll, I'll take. You know, I, I that's the argument. Would you rather be a Lions fan and know you're gonna suck, or be a Redskins fan and like them tease you all of September, go like three and one, and you're like, oh, we're I, looking. Good. You know what? I, I, I hear this all the time from Redskins fans. Yeah. You have three Super Bowls. I'm not hearing any of your nonsense. And okay, honestly, yeah. honestly, it's too early for me to think about football, but I actually believe the Redskins are a dark horse this year. I mean, rookie quarterbacks, uh, He's rookie a, quarterback, a perfect yeah. Perfect. Everybody, I was suspect about him because I don't, I, I think the SEC people always get excited. Everybody right, yeah. who, who catches up football in the SEC is, is considered the next something. And, <laughs> <laughs> and the the Southerners love that, but I would honestly say every pro football guy, like your John Gruden's and all your like crazy not human football people, right, right, right. every time they meet RG three, they start like crying. Yeah, and, and that's and that's the the, the other feel, like you said with with the uh, with the Pistons draft pick. Like I feel like. If, if he gets if he gets in that DC nightlife, it might oh yeah might no, be I, a problem. He looks like he's got a good head on his shoulders, but that kind of I, money, that young. I mean, I mean, he's good look. He's everything. Yeah. But the thing is, Shanahan runs this sort of goofy illegal blocking system. Like everybody <laughs> yeah. who ever plays a Shanahan team says they're out to take my knees out. And yeah. Stuff. And he turned the worst running backs into thousand yards yeah. for years and years and years. Um, including what Ruben Drones, who I saw play the year before with the Lions, and would get a yard by accident. You know? It was a mercy yard, yeah. and then he turns into like a twelve hundred yard rusher for the Broncos. I think this guy doesn't even have to pass the ball. He's okay. big, he's strong, he's fast. All the Redskin uh, running backs last year, I think, had walkers. They were so old. It was the worst. Yeah, yeah, and, we, and the, yeah, like you said, the Shanahan system. They, we still had a decent running game in, in, the, in that system. And, and you had a decent running game, and I actually think that the Skins defense is not bad. Oh no, they're, they're, they've been good. Like uh, well, we had Williams before that, Greg Williams before that, and they've been yeah, the, the defense. <laughs> hey, hey, we're not going to talk about that, all right? The defense. I won't say anything bad about Greg Williams, but yeah, the, the defense was always like the offense was always a problem for like the last about six seven years. I mean, the offense is embarrassing. I think yeah. as good as the defense has been, when you factor in the fact that the offense is run by, uh, as far as I can tell, a couple of middle school kids, uh, <laughs> um, and 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 there the defense has got to be on the field. I don't know yeah. what the time of possession is because I didn't prep, but I'm guessing 34 minutes. Yeah, it's, it's, if, if it's up there. Yeah. If you get RG3 on there, they can win time of possession. That defense yeah. is going to, as good as it is, will be a lot better because they won't be exhausted. Right. Uh, so I actually think the Skins are 8-8, eight and eight, 
yeah. ten and six with a couple of breaks. A couple, and they, yeah. they've had some bad ones the last couple of years. So they're. Well, I will for, say that. Yeah, yeah. We, we we've had some so those those like close games that like they, we'd, we'd lose by a field goal. The king, yeah. yeah, they're the king of the ooh the bad snap of the field <laughs> oh, goal. Like that. Or he well, was good before my, he came here. Yeah. I, I started a couple years ago. Uh, uh, like my best friend's brother would go to this uh, place in Greenbelt. We'd watch all the games and just sit there. And every fourth quarter of a rest without fail, he'd just look at me and go, "Look, guys, you're fine." I'm like sweating. He's like, "Look, man, you guys are up by seven. I'm like, "Just shut up, Jason," because you're doing this on purpose to get under my skin. Again, the defense is on the field all the time. They break right. down in the fourth quarter. Yeah, with RG three, running game eats up time of possession. I, 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 I really think the skins. I, if they went ten and six, it wouldn't shock me and make yeah. a playoffs. So. I mean, I'm not like I said. They'll be they'll be like three and one by the end of September. I, I mean, and I'll com- get my hopes up. It, it comes down. They, they still don't have a backup quarterback. I don't know why that is. So right. if RG three like gets a bad knee or gets some gets yeah. like that the dreaded turf toe or something, it's a different game. But if he stays healthy. Or they actually find a backup quarterback or whatever. I think ten and six is possible. I, I'm not betting on it. My money would be on eight and eight. But right, again, right. They, they've as many bad breaks as they've had. They are They're due, due yeah. for like the I, the skins are going to lose. What the ball's bouncing around? <laughs> yeah. It's a miracle. You know, they're I'll, due for uh, a couple of those games. Not, knock on wood. Uh, <laughs> and, and again, surprising me. The only person I know that can break down dead ringers and the uh, <laughs> and the, the Redskins' oh nine season. Yeah. Uh, so. So I got you on here. Uh, everybody, well, most people that listen to this, are, it's, at this point, it's only my friends. So they know I went to film school and everything. Uh, I think the second year I was here, you came in and it was your first year. Uh, let's, let's backtrack. Let's say you're from Detroit. Yep. Or early 70s. Uh, are your parents? Are you, are you early 70s? Uh, I have the clothes to prove it. Yeah. Uh, uh, or the photos of the clothes. Uh, right. Um, checkered pants and a Spider-Man uh, muscle shirt. Oh, uh, like the TV show? Like, cause I wonder, like, yeah, the old cartoon, yeah. radioactive blood era, like <laughs> yeah. yellow and, and red. It's probably a hot look now, actually. I should I come for, yeah, back. Could yeah. bring it back. Yeah, they hadn't gotten to the uh, to the generic engineering yet. It was still radio, radioactive. It was yeah. still radioactive blood. And, uh, yeah, the Ramones actually did a good cover of that theme song. Oh, I think I, I think I have heard that. Yeah, yeah, it's not bad. Um, but yeah, I, I actually I actually remember the disco era Spider Man. What I used to call oh. the, the disco era Spider Man. In that uh, they did a live action Spider Man in the seventies. Yeah, the three, TV show. And and, yeah. and, and when they would use disco music, so every time Spider Man would walk, he'd be like, wah, 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 you know, it was it, it was like a disco, and he threw this like a net. Yeah. Basically. And like they, he would like to, to be able to swing, they'd jump him off the helicopter or Exa- something. Exactly. Yeah. It was it was it was uh, you know when you're like six years old, it was amazing. I still remember. <laughs> I still get misty when um, they play the Incredible Hulk music. Oh yeah. Like ding, ding, they, ding, ding. Oh, every time like a tear runs down my face. <laughs> You just, you just felt like going outside with no shirt, putting a thumb up. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> See how far you can get. Yeah. I know, yeah, probably not as far as uh, Bill Bixby, but uh, um, <laughs> that was again the yeah. early '80s when people still hitchhiked. Yeah, I love, I love the story that they couldn't, they, they didn't want to call him Bruce Banner, so they called him David Banner. So that's the one version that he's called David Banner because like the studio was afraid. Like I, the story I heard was the studios were afraid that Bruce was a little too uh, gay or effeminate uh, or something. 
So they changed it to David Bruce Banner. Yeah, because really, what's effeminate about having a muscle guy in green paint <laughs> run around? Uh, 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 there's nothing effeminate at all about uh, about about there are two sides of me, my my conservative man side and my sexual muscular free side. There's nothing gay at all about whoa, whoa, that. Whoa, you're, you're blowing like a bunch of 14-year-olds' minds right now, all right? They just like the Hulk because he's strong, all right? Uh, it's funny. My nephew, uh, who's still in Detroit, uh, who's now, I got 13 years old, mm-hmm. um, his favorite superhero of all time was the Hulk. And he, okay. he talks about the for for from like 7 to 10, that's all he talked about. He was the biggest Hulk fan ever. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to relate to my younger nephew, and I just turned to him and I said, uh, Gage, which is his name, mm-hmm. said, um, said why, why is the Hulk so great? And he just said, because green and purple are my favorite color. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so simple. I love it. It's like, yeah. I mean, he was sense. he was nuts. He would like walk up to people in Seven Eleven when they had Hulk like Slurpees out there, yeah. And like little girls would like look at the Hulk kind of strange, and he'd put their hand on the back and go, "Don't worry, the Hulk is your friend." You know, <laughs> he, was, he was he was nuts. Uh, uh, that kid's got a uh, yeah. The kid's got. Uh, Hushpa? Hushpa? He does have something. I think actually he's the funny one in the family. So okay. My instinct is that uh, Gage will be telling jokes in about 10 years. Uh-huh. We'll see. Maybe maybe uh, for episode uh, 1032, I'll, I'll have him on here. Yeah, yeah I'll, see if I, I'll see what I can do. I'll, I'll make a phone call. Did, uh, uh, speaking of Hulk, did you, did you like that, uh, that Ang Lee Hulk movie? I'm one of the five people on Earth who has nice things to say. Yeah, about I that. like it. I like I like the the, the intro was really sad. Like yeah. with him like seeing his mom get killed in front of him and everything. I mean, I think where it's it's a weird thing because it it's, it it succeeds in some places and fails in others. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think the CG holds up pretty well. I haven't looked at it in a while. But, yeah, yeah. Um, I I like the angledyness of it. Like there are weird. Moments where the Hulk would just start like meditating as he fell through the <laughs> sky, and it would get all zen right. for a moment. The, the one I remember is, is he falls like he's, he does the jump and he falls like in the Grand Canyon or something. He's just sitting there like looking at the flower for like a couple seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, I like that. So I like the fact that the Hulk got bigger depending on his level of rage. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, I love the transitions, which are a little dated now, but that was exciting at the time. Just remember, right. It's a film. Of, the ending sucks. I don't understand the <laughs> Nick Nolte poodle monster bit at all. But I, you know, and, and it's the only Hulk movie where General Thunderbolt comes across as the most interesting character. <laughs> so that's a first in uh, comic movie history. Yeah. But I am not. I, I actually think the and it, it's weird. The Ed Norton Hulk uh, is horrible, except for Ed Norton, who's right. pretty good. Who everybody threw under the bus. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty pedestrian. But I'm like, it's 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 not the worst thing that they that they ever made. I think I think comic movies I at least have a level of competency. Yeah, yeah. You just okay. I can sit through it, this. It's not X Men Three or Ghost Rider. <laughs> uh, 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 um, it is better than those. You don't badmouth Nick Cage on this podcast. Oh no, sir. no. But hey, trust me. I, I I'm one of five people who was there <laughs> to see Ghost Rider Two on opening night as part of the. <laughs> I saw the hell out of Ghost Rider. Uh, did my man Stringer Bell make it through? <laughs> He's, he actually comes across as great in that movie. He does a French mm. accent and, and is an alcoholic French priest. And, <laughs> and we all walked out of there and said, that movie was terrible, but at least Edris Elba was having a great time. Right. He's been in two films I've hated this year, and he's the best thing in both of them. So um, we're hoping Pacific Rim he gets... Uh, uh, well, yeah. The, the Toro, I mean, the Toro should come through. Oh, I, love, it's, I, I have a weird thought on Guillermo that's very strange. 
strange and very unacademic of me, as so far this entire podcast is right. very unacademic. Uh, um, I actually like his more commercial films. Okay, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I am. I am probably. I think Pan's Labyrinth has a lot of problems. Uh, Devil's Backbone, kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love Hellboy. Uh, okay, so he's 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 like the weirdest. Or I do like Kronos a lot, which is one of his earliest films. Yeah, that's that's the, that's one of the early ones that I've he, seen. Anything yeah. with Ron Perlman and him should, should is good. But for whatever reason, the more commercial he is, the better he is. So uh, based on that that weird sampling, <laughs> Pacific Rim will be great. Exactly. Uh, 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 um, a two hundred million dollar Guillermo giant Del Toro giant robot versus monster movie. Right. Well, there with, you go. <laughs> with Hedris. Uh, is, is it actually taking place on? Because that's the thing I don't like. Because it's called Pacific Rim. Yeah. And I heard, and I was like, oh, so is it like a World War II? It's like, no, it's robots and monsters. Yeah. yeah. Basically, it's like a Johnny Sacco or Ultraman kind of thing. Is okay. my understanding is that for some reason there are monsters. They just show up, uh, and humanity can't fight them except through, that's right, giant robots, <laughs> which are, of course, piloted by a bunch of young, attractive yeah. stars who are, who are led by Edward's Elba, yeah. who will, I'm Looks sure... like the cranky old, like, uh, yeah, the yeah. police chief from yeah. all those, but he, he, he Yeah, well, he gives, he gives like, the, uh, the uh, do it one for the Gipper speeches <laughs> kind of thing. It's like, <laughs> humanity is... Uh, I, in fact, I've heard something to this morning, it was something like... Uh, we're going to stop extinction or something like that, you know? Yeah! Let's yeah, go yeah. beat some monsters! Some uh, of you aren't going to make it back today. Um, my favorite one of those is Bill Poe and Independence Day. Maybe because I was like 12 when it came out, but like that speech is like, ah. Uh, I, I just love that, that film, uh, I remember I was a little too old for that at that point. Yeah. I, I was not a Roland Emmerich guy and never have been. Um, uh, but I do remember the, I remember like there were two things about that film that I, I really remember. Uh, one, why is the president actually flying? Wouldn't we want to keep them alive? You know, it's like, no, I'm going back to the jet. Yeah, uh, he was yeah. a fighter pilot, uh, Bainbridge. I understand that, but generally speaking, uh, you want to keep the president alive, uh, uh, um, and you don't put him in the. I love that, and I also love the fact that the aliens used the same time that we did. Like, oh yeah, it, 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 I actually blame independent. I actually blame. Independence Day for the horrible trend of computers can do everything yeah, movies yeah. that have now if you're war- writing a film and you just have a plot hole just have a computer somehow yeah. will miss like Jeff Golden found on the, yeah. I've cracked the alien code and thank god there's a time it comes up as a timer that runs <laughs> on, on, human yeah, on human time it's a fantastic thing and then, and then of course you have Harvey Firestein going oh my god you're yeah, a genius yeah it, it, that, those are my only two memories from Independence Day yeah I, I, yeah like I said, it caught me at the right time, and it still boggles my mind that that was the highest grossing film of all time for a couple years. Like, some reason, that summer, everybody went to go see Independence Day. Uh, well, I can tell you why. I, was, uh, I, was, I saw that at the Towson Commons. Um, rest in peace, Towson Commons. R.I.P. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was the White House blowing up in the oh, trailer. Yeah. Like, it, everybody was really just in general. Uh, uh, the 90s was a great time for cynicism and government. Now it's, yeah. just, now, it's, now it's actually disturbing. If I wanted to be a real rebel, I would make a pro-government movie that, that would, <laughs> at this point. But... Uh, um, uh, they, the White House blowing up. They, they, well, that was how the trailer ended, and I just remember sitting in the theater and people just going nuts when the White House, the White House explodes, and people are like, yeah, <laughs> and, and you know, and it was the right time, and right. Will Smith was definitely the right star. Right. It was his turn, and he had done everything right, and you know, it was ready for him to blow right. up, and. Uh, 
because uh, I remember being more excited about the Tim Burton film that was coming out of Christmas. Oh, Mars Attacks! <laughs> I, I was like, screw Independence Day! It's going to be Mars Attacks. <laughs> yeah, I think there were two laughs in Mars Attacks. I think the, doesn't Nicholson play like three or four roles he or played, something? He, he plays two, I think, but he wanted to do homage to again. This sounds great. Yeah, I love the I love the trading cards. I love the idea of making a movie about the most offensive trading cards ever. And Jack Nicholson was supposedly paying homage to Peter yeah. Sellers, and I'm like, how can this not be the funniest movie of all time and and, and strangely enough it's not uh, I, I bet you now it's one of those things you look back and you're like alright it's, it's it's it is what it is I mean it, it, I mean it, it, in fairness it does capture the, the trading cards it, 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 yes, I don't know the, the best part of that movie if I remember correctly is after they come back uh, they blow up a bu- they kill a bunch of people the aliens do they land they kill a bunch of people mm-hmm. then they, they they send a memo out that they're misunderstood so they do a right. second conference where they kill everybody <laughs> yeah. and then for the rest of the movie as they're like raping and killing people they run around with little this is the only laugh I had with little voice boxes that said we come in peace <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the only time I think I laughed in that entire movie that and I think for some reason watching Sarah Jessica Parker's head get put on a, um, a chihuahua was funny oh yeah <laughs> but in retrospect maybe not so much mm. Okay, so so you mentioned uh, uh, horrible segue because that's what I do. Uh, that's all right. I you mentioned uh, Towson Convent. So you were here in '96. When so so you grew up in, you grew I, up in I, Detroit. I grew up in Detroit. Yeah. I was born in '72. Uh, okay, and what I was doing was, um, I I grew up actually. I was born in Northern Ohio, a town okay. called Amherst, and uh, my parents moved uh, to the Detroit. Region. Right. And your parents uh, American? Are they? Uh, they are. Or? They are American. Um, uh, basically, my mother's from Ohio, and about as midwestern as you can get. My father um, was born in New York, and I believe I could be wrong on this. He was mm-hmm. one of five of ten, and he's he the his family was Australian. Uh, okay. And so I, I actually think he may have been conceived an Australian, born here. I could be wrong on okay. that. And uh, or and uh, essentially, my real grandfather was uh, was one of those people who went out to get a newspaper one day and never came back. Back uh, when you could get away with stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. So my father was abandoned. Uh, he at that point he was five of ten, and I think his mother had seven kids at that point, and mm-hmm. so single mom, uh, New York City, Australian. Um, and we're talking the 40s at this point. And uh, so she married an alcoholic Otis Elevator repairman. Uh, and um, they, who used to beat the hell out of my father if his beer wasn't warm enough. Apparently the Australians drink their beer warm. She married another Aussie. <laughs> yeah, right. So my father's job was to get, they used to sell beer in buckets. And he would go get a bucket of beer and his job was to settle on the window ledge and it was supposed to be whatever the magic temperature of warm nasty <laughs> New York swill bucket beer is supposed to be and if it wasn't right this guy would beat the hell out of him so my father basically ran away a second he graduated college and ironically came to Baltimore where he was here for six months selling encyclopedias door to door. Right. What's uh, I'm sorry. What are encyclopedias? It, yeah, yeah. That's I forgot. So, <laughs> that, that, uh, in the olden days, yeah, yeah. before Wikipedia, there were these books that used to cost uh, a fortune. Oh, Wikipedia encyclopedia. I see what they did <laughs> yeah, there. Yes, yes. And he sold them door to door. And uh, his partner took all of his money, and he joined the army. Uh, <laughs> um, so. Yeah. 
eventually, he met my mother in Ohio, and uh, he was much older than my mom. And uh, I believe the story goes that uh, my mother was... She might have been 17. Um, okay. And he was in his early 30s, and they met. Uh, my father was a PR guy. He sold things for a while. So they met at a the Ohio Foundation for the Blind. Okay. Um, my dad was a PR director. My mother was a volunteer, and they met on a Let's Take the Blind roller skating party. Were <laughs> 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 they blind roller skating party? Blind, where they'd shut down the rink, and the blind would go, and you'd hold hands, I guess. And, oh, right. Uh, and... and uh, uh, <laughs> they they married a year later. Uh, I'm sure there's some sort of love is blind pun here. That yeah, I can make. I, I'm, I'm not sure either. Uh, <laughs> probably and uh, and uh, I was I was she was my mother was 19 when she had me. So okay. um, it was uh, it was weird because I had a father who was much older and a mother who was. Looked young, right, was, right? My mother looked young. She was, she was younger all the other mothers. So, kind of thing. and I grew fairly tall quickly. So all through my childhood, people would accuse my mother of being my older sister, <laughs> which I'm sure was incredibly awkward for my father. <laughs> uh, 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 um, yeah, but a nice. That's a compliment for her. Yeah, I mean, I mean, my yeah, my mother looked a little bit like Talia Shire and Rocky. Okay, if, if you want to put like yeah, yeah. a very, she was she's about five four, I think, and uh, she the had glasses and the, the, the beanie. And yeah, everything. exactly. Very similar to look to that. I look back at the photos, like my mother looks a lot like Talia Shire from Rocky, and, uh, and very the love sim- story sounds very similar too. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Uh, uh, you know, again, the it, it, and it was one of those things where um, you know. People say that's a really creepy story, and I'm yeah. like, well, yeah, they yeah. were married until my father died. So yeah, you know. I've seen Mad Men. Yeah, these yeah. things happen. <laughs> yeah, these things happen. Uh, so, you're, so you were the oldest uh, mm-hmm. of all your siblings. Yeah, I only have one more sibling. It's okay. like a younger sister who's four years younger, Stacy, and uh, um, and uh, she's she's uh, in Detroit doing well. I think she's working for an eye doctor still. I'm not even sure. She okay. uh, and uh, she has uh, two children now. Uh, okay. So. Uh, but yeah, I was in Detroit for um, 18 years, and then okay. I I was I w- we were poor. Uh, we were really poor at certain times in my life. To this day, I still can't eat pot pies. Uh, <laughs> I drink uh, so many. I, I associate pot pies with poor poverty. When my father was a salesman on bad sales months. We ate pot pies. Uh, okay. So even if it's a gourmet, like this is the best English shepherd's yeah. pie, I still want <laughs> any sort of meat. Like Bourdain and, and uh, I made it at a, at a Michelin restaurant. You're like, no, I can't. I exactly. Can't <laughs> no, no, it's like I associate it with Give poverty. The burger. And uh, uh, so, so, so growing up, um, so, so you're so you're eight, like so you grew up all. What was like your sort of the first recollection of film or getting into film or, or TV or anything? Uh, okay. Like that? Um, my first recollection. Um, I can remember. God, I have memories that are very young. Uh, I, I actually remember, and I don't think this is my first memory, but it's one of the more early ones. Is mm-hmm. I remember my mother went to see Animal House at the drive-in and uh, took okay. me. We, I was I was I was probably three or four. Yeah, this was like seventy nine, seventy seven, seventy seven. Something was yeah. very, and I just remember there was a naked woman in a shopping cart and my mother was laughing so hard that she almost like almost threw up and I had no idea why that was funny I was I actually thought something was wrong with my mother I still have that profound memory of not understanding why a naked girl in a shopping cart was hysterical but you get it now though right no, oh yeah no, yeah no no sadly I do uh, in more ways than one right. um, but it, ooh, I, I can remember um 
I remember always loving anything with a monster. That was okay. primary. Uh, well, the hog. You love uh, uh, anything. If it was a, mon- I loved monsters in all shapes. And in fact, Godzilla was huge for me. They were mm. in the late seventies and early eighties. Godzilla had a revival, right? And I, they used to run Godzilla movies on TV constantly, yeah. and they had Godzilla weeks. And I remember I got off the school bus about. 2.50 and at 3 o'clock the Godzilla movie would start and I just remember flying <laughs> yeah, yeah. as fast as humanly possible to go watch Godzilla versus the Smog Monster and uh, um, to, to make you feel old my thing was like I think I got out of school at 2 and Power Rangers was on at 2.30 uh, and like big monster stuff too and yeah and, uh, well they're coming back apparently uh, they never left everybody's yeah. like did they ever leave no, they left on channel 100 something yeah that's true that's true I, I actually had a Godzilla Shogun Warrior which was like a giant plastic doll that was right. about two feet. I loved that so much. I used to sleep with it, and I remember I brushed its teeth, so there was like toothpaste <laughs> stuck between Godzilla's teeth. Uh, I don't know why I did that, yeah. but uh, when you're eating all those Japanese, you know, you got to make sure you fall off. That's right. The impact of the impact of Asian culture on, <laughs> on American boys. Uh, uh, so I, I'm, I'm sure you love the Roland Emmerich revival, then the, the the remake. I wish I loved it. I I wanted to love it. I, I, it's funny because I was just watching. Um, I, I literally just bought two days ago because of the 50% Criterion sale. The, yeah, yeah. The Criterion Godzilla, I broke down. I'm like, I need to own this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and it, it's interesting because you're watching that. You're watching all, the way that the disc is set up. They really spent a lot of time talking about. Uh, the cultural importance of Godzilla in Japan mm-hmm. and, and what's interesting about the first Godzilla anyway which of course didn't interest me when I was three or four or five or even ten right. uh, was um, that it's about Japanese guilt in a uh, weird okay. way and they actually I believe say something there's a line in the film that's like we deserve this for what we did during the war oh uh, really and, and it's in and, and watching it now at least the first one not the other ones um, it's really kind of strangely profound and scary and, and they make the point on the disc several times that after the nuclear bomb, the idea of a giant monster blowing, uh, burning Tokyo was not so, right that far fetched. Yeah, that yeah. far fetched, and it was probably very scary for a, a 1950s Japanese audience was terrified out of their mind, right? Because it, it was, it was, there was some real, and, and so that's interesting. And yeah, I don't, I don't heard that like because of the bomb, like, but it, it's part of the story, right? The, yeah, this, yeah, it's radioactive off the shore the, because of the, the Americans are bombing Bikini Island to test things, essentially, yeah, yeah. and they, it was actually based on something that happened uh the first death from radiation poison obviously the, the uh, that that was documented uh was um this boat that uh the lucky dragon ironically uh that that sailed off of bikini island and the first test of the hydrogen bomb it let out a bigger radiation radius than, than we they expected thought. And they were just fishing for tuna, and it like burned them, and one guy died, and there was a huge, and so this happened, and um, that was the inspiration for Godzilla. So there was like this weird seriousness about yeah. Godzilla. So, uh, um, and then you could go the other way with Godzilla, where it's Godzilla fighting like twenty monsters, which is also awesome in its own way. <laughs> uh, uh, um, 
and they went neither with the remake of God. In fact, that that was the somehow Godzilla was started by the French, if I remember <laughs> the role on Ember, which sounds great in theory, but not so much in practice. Uh, uh, okay, so so you're so you're, so you're a young kid and, and, and getting all this uh, monster movie stuff. Did you ever? Did you think as a teenager like you were going to be in film and stuff, or were you? Uh, yes, I did. Okay. I was pretty. I, I was I was horrible. Um, uh, I was. I loved movies, and I don't even know... I'm trying to remember if I can think of what my first movie was, but I, I just remember going every week, and I actually didn't play T-ball because it was cutting into my movie time. Right, right. And it was a weird... The 70s was a, a great time to grow up, 70s and 80s, for movie fans, and I'm just now realizing that right. um, uh, because... Even Hollywood movies were good. I mean, I, I, right. look, I look around and uh, we had stuff like it, Back to the Future and all They're the John right, yeah. Hughes movies, and um, you know, even the really crappy things like yeah. Crawl were kind, Tron were kind of fun. And <laughs> yeah, everybody's yeah, there was an inspiration there, kind of thing. The, everybody's trying to recreate that now, and they're not really getting it right. And it, and I used. That was normal. It was like you would go to the movies and you saw movies that everybody liked and they weren't right. bad. Uh, uh, some of them were even great. Um, you know, we had Star Wars uh, and and uh, and Indiana Jones, and now we have old Indiana Jones and crappy <laughs> Star Wars. It's really not. You know, I feel bad for the kids in some ways. Right. Um, and uh, but it was. I actually. I can. I actually have very profound memories of when I knew I wanted to be a filmmaker, and this is going to probably give away uh, a lot about my personality that's oddly enough not reflected in my melody. Uh, uh, <laughs> but I I loved monsters and I loved horror films as a kid. Uh, even the horror films suck now. It's like one of my great sadness is that I, <laughs> I used to love horror films and now they're just so bad I can't even enjoy them. Look, man, the horror films haven't changed. You have. Uh, no, they've gone PG-13 and Digital <laughs> oh, Blood. Uh, I'll start there. Okay. Just with that PG-13, Digital Blood, um, not as offensive. Uh, um, okay. right. <laughs> uh, um, but I saw... God, I might have been ten, um, maybe nine. I uh, my parents were very liberal with letting me watch whatever I, they they would watch things with me, which mm-hmm. was good. But they let me watch pretty much whatever I wanted, and um, I, I always wanted to watch monster movies. Uh, I, and uh, I remember very clearly, and it was on last night. Ironically, uh, it was The Howling. Oh, okay. I saw The Howling, and there's a scene in The Howling relatively late in the movie. Howling's a a very, actually, shockingly still pretty good, I watched it last night, werewolf movie that satirizes, uh, written by John Sayles, so decent pedigree, Joe Dante. Um, It satirizes uh, the uh, New Age 1970s movement and EST using werewolves. So it works as a horror film, but it actually is a decent cultural satire that still holds up shockingly. Dante Dante has always always put something interesting in there. Until the last ten years, yes. (laughs) Uh, uh, um, But... uh, there's a scene in the movie where one of the main werewolf or one of the main werewolves who gets shot in the opening scene mm-hmm. turns to uh, the heroine and tells her that she has a set quote unquote sexy voice. He loves a woman with a sexy voice. He goes, then he goes, I want to give you a piece of my mind. And he sticks his hand inside the bullet hole and pulls the bullet out. And when I, my, Eight, nine, ten-year-old mind went nuts. <laughs> I, I, I actually just said that was a, I didn't even understand what I had seen, but I knew that it was the coolest thing in the history of cool things. 
And then shortly thereafter, I saw Carpenter's The Thing, which I also think yeah. holds up pretty well. No, I saw that uh, saw that for the first time probably six, seven months ago, and yeah, it's, it's strangely good. Yeah, it? it's very good. Uh, again, we were lucky. I had no idea how the last time <laughs> yeah. the horror films would always be that good. And the scene, again, near the end of the movie where they um, Kurt Russell ties everybody to the chair to try and find out who's right. infected... And one guy's infected. Of course, there are two innocent people screaming, which is a great moment because uh, <laughs> yeah. they're tied to the chair. And he takes a flamethrower and he gets the thing except for the guy's head. And there's a shot of uh, a, a decapitated head laying on the ground. And all of a sudden, spider legs come out and the guy's yeah. tongue comes out and grows like a snail's head and then runs across like a spider. I actually turned to my mother. I have a very profound memory of this and said, I want to do that. And mom goes, what? I go, I don't even know. I want to do that for the rest of my life. And and I never turned back. I, so I was probably, a thing was 83, so I probably was saw it on cable, so it might have been yeah. 12. So from 12 on, I knew. I didn't know what, but I right. just knew. And it's funny, because now the idea of doing a film like that, having made them and teaching is terrifying to me because it's so tedious to make right. one of those movies. It's like you watch, it's like six months to animate a head and it's like and then you have conversations like, I don't know, is did, would would a head move that fast? As they, you know, <laughs> you're right. You yeah, know, and it's like and now and that, all that stuff. Is it's fun. a head with spider legs. Who cares? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like I want to watch that film. I don't want to make that film right, anymore, right. which is somewhat sad. But maybe one day one I'll day. break down and just like do my straight up. <laughs> if I were twelve and I wanted to watch human beings turn into insects, this is the movie I would make. Right, so uh, uh, so growing up, you knew since 12, uh, and then so in college you had no plan B, you were just like, I'm going to college, exactly. and, I'm, and I'm doing film, and there was, you went to, I want to say I, Marquette, but I'm good. Yeah, no, well, I went to Northern Michigan University in okay. Marquette, which okay. is not the same as Marquette University, right. Father Marquette got around, <laughs> uh, uh, um, basically, is what that was, and so it was a city of Marquette, you, not... You were just blessing as a... Yeah, yeah no, he, he was, he was probably doing horrible things to Native Americans. Uh, in fact, Father Marquette's tomb is in uh, Marquette, and we used to love to go and visit there because they would have a um, this really horrible painting of like the Native Americans crying with joy over Father Marquette. And, uh, we often wondered if that was actually the case. But there was uh, some crying. The, yeah, yeah. I, I have a feeling that it wasn't uh, as as milk and cookies as it's depicted in, uh, in the town ledger. But uh, um, essentially. I was very poor, right. and there I had to stay in state. I was actually accepted to NYU. Oh, okay. Uh, but I was conditionally accepted. In other words, I barely made the cut. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I would have had to pay full ride at that time. This is nineteen ninety. Right. It was twenty thousand a year plus. You had to pay for film stuff. Right, that right, just right. wasn't even. There were no. There was no magic combination of loans that was ever going to make <laughs> that happen for me. So I had to stay in state. And at that time, the only film school in the state of Michigan was Northern Michigan University and Marquette. Um, so that's um, in the Upper Peninsula, right. north of the um, of the uh, forty five degree parallel. So in other words, you're closer to the um, North Pole than you are the, or you're closer to the yeah North Pole than you, you are, are the equator. equator. Yeah, two hundred inches of snow a year. I had an apartment on Lake uh, Superior. I saw uh, I, there would be icebergs floating uh, 
<laughs> I'm not kidding. Icebergs would float. You just see the uh, and, oh, uh, and, uh, and 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 Detroit is snowy, but it, it there it's not that snowy. It's not that yeah, no, yeah. no. I mean, it was a different it was a different world. And uh, I still occasionally, when I watch the Weather Channel, always wonder what, how much snow are they getting in Marquette? <laughs> yeah. And uh, um, strangely enough, though, they do they do deal with it. I think we missed two days of school in my five years. At, no, that's that's uh, the thing I was gonna say. Like, it must have been crazy when you moved to Baltimore or something where they get like an oh, inch yeah. and a half and it's like the I, shit is just shuts I, down. I, I moved here in 95 and I was working in Channel 2 at the time right. and it was the blizzard of 96 in January oh, yeah. which was like 50 inches of snow yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and like literally everybody was was uh, had resorted to cannibalism <laughs> by the end of that, yeah. that and I was you'd go in the supermarkets and the bread aisle would just be like something out of something out of the thing or something yeah, yeah. in fact Max Weiss uh, the great columnist now for Baltimore Magazine wrote the funniest article her theory was that everything white, bread, milk, toilet paper was what people bought. And then she goes, I tested my theory and walked over to the vegetable aisle and no, the cauliflower is still there. So, uh, um, but, but yeah, it's, right. it's terrible though because I, it, it's taken about 15 years, but I am now, I'm not as bad as some Baltimoreans. I can yeah. drive, I, uh, but I can still drive in snow very well, but I pretty much now just, like, have yeah. surrendered. I don't, I, I, when I, in 96, I was out there digging trenches uh, <laughs> for, for aqueducts so that the runoff in the water would, would not pile up. Now it's just nah. like, nah, it's, it like, later, it's yeah. like, yeah, I'm just gonna, uh, thank God, I'm gonna get fat and happy. I've got all the bread, milk, and toilet paper I need. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I remember uh, I was dating this girl, and she was, uh, so, I'm, uh, I mean, everybody knows 27 but like she's I guess four or five years older than me and she was uh, she was like from Gary, Indiana or something where they okay. get that kind yeah, of snow yeah. Yeah. and I was like so, and there was something where it was snowing and like I mean we were dating for like a month or something but there were, it was in, during the winter Gary, Indiana used to be the most violent city in America by the way yeah uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Gary, Indiana is rough sorry but also a product of, uh, of the Jackson 5 so well, it, it's it, given us two things <laughs> it's very similar and actually Gary, Indiana and Detroit are almost identical it's just like one's right. the micro version of the right. macro version so. and it's like stuck between like uh, uh, Chicago's like close nearby and, and Detroit's close to I, yeah. I remember going to the Indianapolis 500 when I was a kid mm-hmm. and, and uh, this will date me we were listening to um, the cassette tape of Eddie Murphy's Delirious and laughing oh. <laughs> like, uh-huh. uh, back when in those three years yeah. when Eddie Murphy was the funniest yeah. human being <laughs> ever was and we were back when homophobia was funny <laughs> yeah, Mr. T jokes homophobia yeah. barbecue it was all yeah. great uh, greatest um, thing about those he's uh, all the homophobia jokes and a skin tight leather like red jumpsuit and, and then years later he would get caught picking up transsexuals <laughs> saying that he just wanted to help them right um, uh, so there's no thing with the girl like she would uh, and I remember having this argument with her and being like so it, it turned out to be a experience of you driving versus you're the woman and I'm like no I don't want to drive and snow like and it, we weren't going away but just like one of those hypothetical cars she's like I don't I don't drive even though I'm better at it but I'm like but why would you not drive? Because you're the man. And I'm just like, no, I'm not driving in six feet of snow when you've been driving in six feet of snow for 20 years. That's awkward. That's really yeah. weird. I, yeah, I, it's that, no good. I, that's, <laughs> I, that's actually, as I get older, it's yeah. one of the few places I draw the line with dating um, is uh, if, if I, whoever I'm dating is mm. not 
somewhat self-sufficient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care how beautiful or anything they are. It's just I, I'm, I, I don't have the patience for it anymore. Yeah. I mean, nobody's perfect, and I'm not holding anybody to a standard. But like, uh, I, I went out with a girl who didn't have a can opener because she said <laughs> she can't cook. And she didn't own any plates or or silverware. She had, everything was pla- plastic, and it was, it was a definite weird sign. And yeah. it, it got worse. And it's like it's like come on. It, <laughs> I, I'm not going to think you're less feminine because you can you know change a tire or something. Right, and right. That, that's actually a selling point at my age. Oh, it's at my age. I'm just like what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. do it. I don't want. I don't want to change the tire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like it's you know it's not even about laziness. It's just about yeah. you get the those calls all the time. It's like, I can't do something. Like, what do you mean you can't do something? <laughs> Come on, yeah. you're an adult. Uh, uh, we all, we're all out here trying to survive, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, so, so you're up there in, in, in the Upper Peninsula with, with the six uh, yeah. feet of snow. Ba- basically, I, had, I was so obnoxious. It was inhuman. I was a little punk rock kid from Detroit. Yeah. Uh, at the time, uh, if I can put myself in some kind of perspective, um, I was wearing combat boots, ripped up jeans, um, and uh, I had uh, uh, the same haircut that Gary Oldman had from The Fifth Element. Oh. <laughs> uh, 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 I, uh, I, I just hope it included the little plastic thing. It did not include the plastic thing, but it was basically, I, I can't grow long hair. I tried like hell in high school. Right. I had bad colics. I looked like Pippi Longstockings. <laughs> and uh, uh, so I accepted that long hair wasn't going to be possible, so what I did the logical decision, which was, uh, I don't know what the heck that is, ghost in the phone. Uh, um, uh, sorry, listeners. Um, it's fine. Uh, I I basically cut my hair short in every place except the front, mm-hmm. where I let my bangs drip uh, a, a brain around the bottom of my nose, and I, I would tuck oh, wow. it. And there was like I so I always had hair in front of one eye, and, <laughs> right? Unless it was like a formal occasion, in which case you'd pin it back, which is this, basically the exact look that Gary Oldman has. <laughs> so it's like it, it was it was base. I had that haircut before the French discovered it, yeah. and it wasn't cool when I had it. Um, I also wore a lot of flannel, and around the time I stopped grunge hit, so it was like I was just right. a little ahead. <laughs> I got none of the right benefits the of that. Um, yeah, so so you're up there, this punk rock kid. How? Uh, uh, so I'm guessing you were a man like fuck Hollywood, it's all bullshit. So how how did you it, uh, get into sort of indie film? Because like indie movie was starting then, and, and foreign films. Yeah, and all again, that. again, it was weird. I was all Hollywood until I was probably in high school. Yeah, that's it's it. That's what happened. We're all like that. We always hit that wall. Yeah. All like when I was here a couple years ago, everybody was like. Man, this shit is crap. But now I'm just like, hey, man, they, they know how to entertain me. It's a solid hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, God, I wish it was that way. Uh, yeah. I, I, people always say you're anti-Hollywood. I've never been anti-Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, I just want good. And it, and it's it's been bad. It, the last couple, the last five years have been have been real low points. Yeah. Uh, real low points for Hollywood. And I'm not, and when I see something I like, and it's just it's a case of me wanting something adult and right. I, and I'm not against obviously I saw Ghost Rider 2 I'm not against stupid <laughs> movies but I want if they the stupid movies have a different threshold of entertainment they've right. got to be well made and what's happening and somebody I, I wish I had said this somebody said the difference between motion pictures now and motion pictures in the 70s 
is the crap was more interesting in the 70s. Right, right, right. You know, there was like, you know, you had stuff like exploitation, which had interesting cultural ramifications. So right, it right. was like, yeah, you know, these films are not good movies, but there's something about them. Now they just suck. Yeah. <laughs> you know? You know, right. it's, it's like, it, 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 there's, you know, and you had like horror films in the 70s and they were all new levels of violence that had never been seen before right, and, right. and they had Vietnam overtones and, and you know so and, and action films were grittier than they'd ever been and they were doing all this so they, yeah in some ways they were trash but they were interesting trash and, right. and they, now they're just bad and um they used to make a lot more adult movies, and and that's not always a good thing in Hollywood. But uh, I'll give you an example of a Hollywood movie I loved, and again, this is almost an art house film now, which is depressing. Okay. A couple of years ago, I loved Michael Clayton. I oh thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that an exceptional good, yeah. movie, and that's a total Hollywood movie. Hollywood star, Hollywood, right. and it, it's just incredibly well acted, incredibly well thought out, fantastic script, an yeah. adult movie for adults, and that's almost an art house film. Taxi Driver was a top ten grossing film in the seventies. Taxi Driver, if it were released today, would play at the Charles for two weeks and be, <laughs> That's you know, a, yeah, and, and be it might be on VOD before that. Exactly, yeah. exactly, and it's like that's the thing. It's like I'm not against Hollywood movies. I think there's a place for them, right. and I'm not against doing a big spectacular movie. But like you know, I, I'll I'll give, let me I'll go back to my story. But I want I want I want to bring up something because I was proved right. I'm going to rub this in from when we we you know, I had you as my student. Okay. You you took one of one of the great pleasures of my life, uh, and this was teaching a, a course in the films of David Cronenberg. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You were uh, one of the lucky twenty veterans of that course. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was your first sort of summer. I'm gonna pick a filmmaker and uh, yeah, explore, go ahead. Yeah. Done it three times, and and uh, you were great, and, and one of the, my all time favorite students because you were always the uh, contra. Every time I said something, you were fought with me, and everybody thought <laughs> everyone thought that uh, that you hated me or I hated you, and I was yeah. like, no, no, for now. Fernando was making this class work. I, I would pay you yeah. to sit in a lot of my classes. <laughs> no, I was I was that kid in the first row, like uh, sitting next uh, to Chris Judd, picking uh, on him. Rele- you, you, you who had that same sort of Bay Bridge yeah, in nineteen ninety. He, he did. He did. He did. He didn't have my toughness though. Oh, yeah, uh, no. uh, um, but uh, he got too sensitive. I, I loved it when people fought with me, and every, I thought Chris would be the same way. And uh, I believe. Um, when I first met him, he told I, I asked anybody if they'd seen a good movie, and he said, "There's only movie worth seeing is Darren Aronofsky's The Fountain." <laughs> and anybody who knows me knows The Fountain is everything I hate in one. It's like New Age mysticism. <laughs> Hugh Jackman naked in a bubble it's all about a giant tree it's like literally everything (laughs) in the world I hate embodied in this film and I and I I made some joke and he got really upset really and he he really upset and I I only did that because I thought that he would fight back I looked at him and I said oh he's got my hair cut he's gonna be (laughs) this will inspire him and I I, I learned quickly but you used to set him up but there was a point getting back to Hollywood movies yeah where um I had seen Transformers. Okay. I had I had free tickets before anybody the else. One? The first one, okay, okay. And and I walk and everybody. Uh, of course, we're t- I'm, all I care about is David Cronenberg, but all the class cares about was how was Transformers? <laughs> how was Transformers, favorite? Because I saw it about a week before you guys did, right? And I I declared it the most offensive, racist movie I'd ever seen. <laughs> and then I thought for sure you were going to see it and agree with me. And you came back and go, Baybridge, it's not that bad. <laughs> 
I would like to. I would like to rub this in seven years later. Right. Like I, all I, well, all we I said, seen the majesty of the Transformers Two, which is the most racist film in the history. Like, like right, it's yeah. almost so. It, it's like Birth of a Nation, Transformers Two. It's like the magic double effect <laughs> uh, 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 of the history of racist cinema. And I, I just, I remember walking out of Transformers Two and I'm thinking about you. I'm like, where the hell is Fernando? Where the hell is Fernando? Yeah, that was pretty I, bad. Yeah, yeah, those two. And I was just like, I can't even like. Yeah, I mean, it was just like. I mean, I'll, I'll start the first one. It's like um, Anthony Anderson. Uh, he's a he's a high end computer hacker. Fine. But no, I give him a pass. Redskins. He had the, he had his Redskins no, jersey. No on. issues there. No issues there. Um, and but of course, every time he hacks something, what does he do? That's right. Black man has to walk outside and dance. And I was like, I was like, uh, the entire film is filled with those stereotypes, and I'm yeah. like, this is bad. I'm like, well, they'll correct that for Transformers too. Nope. No, they did not. <laughs> Double down uh, on it. <laughs> they doubled down on yeah, it. Yeah. And I just yeah. remember walking out of there and I saw this with um, I, I'll get elitist here. There, I saw this with a group of, of, of Baltimoreans some black, some white, you yeah. know all ages, you know, nice composite of our city and I'm, I'm looking at all these like six and seven year old kids who are of color yeah. and they don't they, all they see is giant robots right, right. And, and and there's I'm like this has got to be damaging in some <laughs> some you can't and right. and then uh, for the actually I, around the time of the David Cronenberg class because uh, I showed his bit uh, at the, for the 50 I think it was the 50th anniversary of Khan Every okay. filmmaker that was still alive, yeah, yeah, you did, did show us. Yeah, I did. That 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 did. They did a five minute tribute to Khan, and they did these five minute movies about right. movies. The best one on that list, oddly enough, was Vim Vendors. Okay, and I, I, this is one of the most powerful pieces of, of crappy video I've ever seen. <laughs> um, what he did to talk about the history of film. For his five-minute con salute, where the, all these filmmakers who've won the Con Film Festival made a five-minute video short to celebrate the 50th anniversary, was he went to Somalia and and did an outdoor screening with like I don't know 100 150 people of Black Hawk Down, uh, and he okay. just recorded the Somalian and it was it's them they it, and you would think they'd be all you know that doesn't paint Somalians in a right. really pop, right. they, they don't see that that just for them it's like big helicopters big and like it's it's magical for them and it's one of the most haunting and bizarre right. I can't tell you how powerful and strange it is because they're just they're just it's to them it's just magic they're not even thinking about it in any cultural right. setting they're just like you know their mouths are open. I just did a visual on the radio. Very good. This thing is filled with visual jokes. And and, and, uh, and it was just I you know it's really an incredible five minutes of stuff. And I remember watching all of them. And I turned to my friend uh, Dawson, and he was just like that. Vim Vendor's thing was amazing. I, I know it was like a brilliant idea right. and and very powerful. Um, but that's what I'm saying. It's like when Hollywood films. They have the power to do more than they've ever done before, mm-hmm. and there are still good movies being made. I don't want to be totally negative. Cause no, I'm, yeah, I think, I think but, my thing with Hollywood is like I go, I, I sort of, they sort of, they sort of stack the deck with 
like for I think for uh, for us or stuff, and, and like we, we want adult movies, so so those adult movies sort of tend to be good. You just don't get like the good schlocky stuff, I think anymore. Well, I mean, it, it's more. It's I hate to say it. The Hollywood used to. It's gotten so expensive is the problem. Right. Hollywood used to be run by crazy riverboat gambler type rich guys who were right. a little weird, and they 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 sort of were willing to 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 take chances. And as long as the film came in on budget and provided, that's why exploitation films were interesting. It was a way to get into the business. And the way that those t- used to work is you had to have the three Bs, blood, breasts, and beasts. Right, if right. you had naked people, you had monsters, and you had gore or whatever, they would let you say whatever you wanted to. Right, right. So it used the, to be... The ex- Roger Corman model. And the Roger Corman model. And you would, you would get all sorts of bad, but also occasionally interesting people who had something to say right. who were like, you know, all right, fine. I'll I'll make an exploitation film and I'll stuff it with interesting things. Uh, I'm a big fan of Larry Cohen's uh, early black exploitation films, and people are like, "Really?" I go, you know, um, some of the stuff that he did uh, the with um, with the hammer, Fred Williamson. Okay. Some of that stuff is really really interesting, and it's interesting because. It's loaded with um, Black Caesar is easily my favorite um, with a great James Brown soundtrack because what's interesting about that is this is a film made for the audience that he's looking to rebel. Generally, when people make important social films, they're leaving out the people that want to watch that film. He's giving you the sex and the violence that a hard working class person who's been put down wants to see giving you an awesome James Brown soundtrack it's a fun slam but at the same time it actually has something to say and yeah it's a little heavy hand at one point I believe Richard Roundtree is forced at gunpoint by the evil Irish cop who's been putting him down his entire life to shine his shoes and he takes the shoe shine box wraps it in the American flag and beats the cop to death you know and it's like it's like it's like yeah it's exploitation yes it's pandering to the audience but at the same time there's like symbolism and it's powerful and you felt it and it's like I remember uh, somebody you know and I know Josh Schlates showed me Black Caesar and I was I was in Baltimore and I was like movie's amazing <laughs> it's sloppy and, and a little wrong but it's also great and right. I you know um, and that's the kind of stuff that, that's not there because even exploitation has gone corporate and everybody's afraid about offending people right and if you if you if you don't take those chances you also lose the thrill you guarantee right. a certain mid-level and uh, I read an article, and this is really—if you really want to know what's wrong with Hollywood right now—it's it, they're all they're all owned by corporations, right? Sony, Time Warner, et cetera, et cetera. And somebody, a Sony executive, actually said, and I believe this: we would rather lose 150 million dollars than make 15, because, right? Because yeah, yeah. Uh, everything has to be a 600 million dollar hit. Yeah, um, and that sounds fine on some weird abstract level. Okay, Hollywood makes the big films. Where that falls apart is is simple. There's only a certain number of people who can do really do the magic. If right, you, really if do it good. Yeah. Really do it right. And they're they're make, and, and what's happening is if you look at let's say the credits for Superman, the Richard Donner film. Okay. 
um, they only made it. They only used to make about four or five of those uh, event movies a year. Right, right. So if you look at the credits, which take forever, it's, I think it's known as the longest credit sequence in, in history. <laughs> it's just like John Williams music blaring for an hour and a half. <laughs> but if you go through the credit list, everybody who was anybody in the world of uh, camera, in the world of special effects, mm-hmm. I mean, all the giants, everybody worked on that thing. Right, right, yeah. And so you're working with truly the best of the best on these films, and, and that's why they could push it. Now, there are more. The number of people in the best of the best is higher, right. but they're but spread among 40 films. So you really see and the talent level drop, and uh, you're not consolidating the talent the way that you, that you once had. And uh, as these films become more expensive the oversight becomes much higher and you get filmed by committee and I, you know, I'm old-fashioned. I'm an auteurist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, film uh, by committee. Auteur dead, uh, Bainbridge. It might be. It's dying. Uh, um, you know, every time I watch, I just saw an interview with Len Wiseman or read about an interview with Len Wiseman, rather, and and he it was very funny. He he said uh, he was talking about Comic Con. He's talking about his Total Recall ma- remake, yeah. which is I, I, I don't even get me Look, started. It's PG. the film Philip K. Dick wanted to see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if that was the case, I, I've read the short story, and Total yeah. Recall is not that film either. But Total Recall, the, the only let's be honest, Total Recall works for a couple of reasons. It's insane. Uh, the original, the the the, the, uh, the original movie, or the, the original, original movie. Okay. It's insane. Paul Verhoeven, yeah. Paul Verhoeven. It's insane. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is ridiculously wonderful in that movie. <laughs> Give the people alcohol, Hagen. I mean, there are things about that's not even funny, but it's hysterical. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and and gratuitous violence and sex. Yeah. So what are we doing? We're going to clean it up. We're going to make it PG-13, so no three-breasted woman. I mean, you'll see it, but it'll be in a bikini. Yeah, right. And we're setting it on Earth, so we're... And it's like, okay, this is already off to a really bad start. Yeah. Um... Uh, and then, and then on top of that, you're hearing interviews like this where he goes, "I really wanted to make the world of the future taller rather than spread out. I just thought that the world of the future we needed skyscrapers." And the review I was reading was like, "Yes, because Fritz Lang or uh, George <laughs> yeah. Lucas or, yeah, or Ridley Scott, Scott Ridley Scott, Scott yeah. they haven't thought of that before. It's like so fresh yeah. that the world of the future will be all skyscrapers." Yeah. And the fact that he thinks it's fresh. Is terrifying to me. Right, right. Yeah, like let's give this guy two hundred million dollars and <laughs> and see what he does. It, I mean, it, it's like I'll give you a great example: uh, the remake of Get Carter, which did not yeah, succeed. Yeah. The original Get Carter by Mike Hodges. I have it. I just have, I, like I had the original. Like I bought it for my friend because yeah. uh, he's giving away a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I still, just have I've never watched it though. The original Get Carter is a good movie. It's not a great movie. But what it is is it's is it's mean. Right. It is mean and it is violent and it is dirty. It is a filthy, dirty, nasty film with Michael Caine, who I love. The film opens with an incredibly explicit scene of Michael Caine having phone sex, very explicit phone sex, yeah. to hit the mafia's the boss's mistress while the mafia guy's in the room. So you have this uh, like old okay. mafia guy, Michael Caine's like saying things I can't repeat on this phone. There's a scene, I'm not kidding, where Michael Caine um, is having sex with an older woman mm-hmm. be- just because she's like, she wants to. He's like, ah, what the hell? And he's, <laughs> he's having sex, and then people go in to kill him, 
and he gets up and kills both of them. So he's walking around naked, and he comes out with a large shotgun and walks out into a parade, presumably with an erection, is embodied <laughs> by this gun, and shoots this guy dead in front of people. And uh, there's it's, it's just a mean, rough 70s movie. The remake of Get Carter is less violent, less sexually explicit, yeah. and replaces it with nothing. It's not like it's not like it replaces it with substance. And, and, right. and we live in the first time ever, the first time that I'm aware of, where um, films are being remade in order to be softer. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's weird to me. I mean, I grew up again in the eighties, and I remember Scarface. Yeah, Cronenberg's The Fly, Carpenter's yeah. The Thing, Scarface. Yeah. You know, there were there were these. They were the, they, that was the idea. Is you took these films that were made before you could you, where you had to be clever, and right. you were like, let's go all the way with it. Now they're remaking films, and they're like, boy, that film was good, but it was just too edgy. We need to. Yeah. Saw it. And it's like Get Carter is nothing without the edginess. It's like it's an it's a it's a fine plot, but it's been there, done that. It's it, interesting because it's edgy and because Michael Caine's amazing, right? Yeah, you know. But that's that's really it. It's not like well, the way that uh, Get Carter depicts the moral universe. Of, no, no. <laughs> it, 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 it's not that movie. Um, it's just a mean spirited, yeah. tough seventies movie. And I, lo- and I love that Michael Caine is now doing like the uh, the, the stealth. The, what's was it? Sleuth. No. Oh, the remake of Sleuth. Yeah, that now he's playing the older guy. I uh, love that. I mean, it's a, it's funny because I heard that was terrible, and it's weird because Sleuth is great, mm-hmm. uh, but it's it's almost it's a basically it's a play. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and 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 so I have no problem. I guess you could watch a hundred versions of Sleuth as like doing Shakespeare. Um, and I don't hate Jude Law. Um, I mean, it's Michael Caine and Lawrence Olivier in the original, and yeah. it's clever as hell. A Sleuth is one of those things. It's like it's a a, a Rube Goldberg movie, or at least the original Sleuth was. It's just it's oh, a, okay. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like it's it, and and I saw part of the remake, and it just didn't have very much zap to it. I wasn't morally against it. I was just like the original Sleuth is really engaging, and it, it's just watching two men mess with each other and it's clever because it actually could trick you and it does a few times okay. uh, um, you know there are a few times where you think you know what's happening and it doesn't and that's always great when a movie can trick you and I'm watching I don't I didn't I can't speak authoritatively about the remakes I only watched about 10 minutes but I was just like I'm not I'm not engaged in any way, you right, know. Right. Maybe I'm being unfair on it, and I'm and I wasn't. I, mean, I haven't seen it either. So yeah. I, just, I just like the fact that it's getting to the point where uh, that that Kane can not can now re- remake his own yeah. stuff. I mean, it's funny because that I think I, who I think Patty Duke did that with the Miracle Worker. She was Helen okay. Keller on Broadway, and then by the time they made the movie, uh, she was uh, I can't remember I can't even, I can't remember her name either. Yeah. So it, <laughs> and again, I'm not I'm not against remakes right. per se. Uh, we have too many of them. I'm against the idea of remaking a film just to remake it. Right. You know, like a good remake. Not bringing anything to it. Sure. It, it's like um, I was watching last night an amazing uh, thing. I was watching uh, a, a, te- uh, a kinescope version of a 1955 television show called Patterns, written by Rod Serling. Okay. And, and it was, yeah, I think I think I read. The, I think I've heard about Patterns. Yeah. It's really good. And I was watching it, and I actually had that thought. And I'm I'm not going to remake anything. Let's. I don't want to start any rumors. But <laughs> I actually was watching that, and I was surprised at how relevant it felt. Right. Now, if you were said, let's re- update Patterns. 
that makes sense because it's like what's happening with the economic collapse and the idea of do you put money first or people first? Right, right. You know that I think a lot of people in white collar America are probably thinking about those things. There are probably people right now sitting in offices who are having to make the decision about payroll versus bottom line. Right, right. And that's really sort of what patterns is about. I think it's total. It's a great script. Nobody's seen it. It's it's made on t- for television, so it's a little claustrophobic. You could open right, right. it up a bit, and it's short. That makes sense. If somebody said I want to remake Patterns, I'm like, I get that. So you're remaking Patterns? It's no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah the, the checks cash. I will. Um, but uh, yeah, that makes sense. A lot of these films, like I don't understand why you would remake Total Recall. Right. Uh, I'm not saying that it's going to be bad, although it is. Uh, uh, um, I, but Did I you just, not love Die Hard Four, Bainbridge? <laughs> I, uh, which you almost I, got, I, which you almost got me to uh, work on. If yeah, I had yeah, a car, yeah, I, 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 no comment on Die Hard Four out of loyalty to the number of friends <laughs> I, that were employed on that. It had great production values. Uh, did you not love Underworld Two? <laughs> no, I did not love Underworld. Underworld Two or Underworld. My favorite was the the new Underworld because it's like really was who was asking for that? That's what I wanted to. I like I get. People dig vampires and werewolves. Yeah, fine. Yeah. So the, they love the first Underworld because they're insane. So they want a second <laughs> one. Fine, the second one not as good, but right. I, I just love you know it, it's uh, you know Len Wiseman's wife. One, and then, yeah, the third one where it's not even Len Wiseman's <laughs> wife anymore. And I'm thinking about Michael Sheen and uh, Bill Nye. Yeah, Nye yeah. I, uh, good for them. I hope their mortgage on their co- their summer cottages get paid. Um, and and you're thinking to yourself, right. fine. But who is thinking that? Who is thinking to themselves? You know, I've watched three Underworld films, and I, there's still something left to be mined from this this concept. Ooh, but what about a fourth one? Like, who is crying out for this? Who? I don't know anybody who's saying I want a fourth Underworld. I really do. I'm looking forward to that. I it's. Uh, I don't get it. I, I, but again, you know, may, you know, again, I, at the, as be, I shouldn't be complaining about that. I want to know who the hell's who is still asking for Resident Evil movie. <laughs> like, really, yeah, Jovovich? Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, she is. Uh, but I'm like, they, aren't they up to like Resident Evil Six now? It's like real five, I think. Yeah. Uh, haven't the zombies starved to death? Like at this point, like literally, they they've killed everything yeah. on Earth. Uh, uh, like, how? Are, uh, don't talk about Umbrella that way. I'm like, who is left? Who on earth is left? Uh, 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 but Man. you know, I that that's still shocking to me. The Resident Evil series <laughs> has had more legs than anything I can imagine, and you would think it wouldn't. But I, yeah, but I think it's that thing where they where they spend 150 and it makes probably like 90 or 100. So like, well, we know what it's gonna make. So no, they, 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 out there with some guns again. Yeah, well, she's married to the producer. That helps. Well, uh, there you um, go. But yeah, no, they, I, I you know I think it's the overseas market. Uh, mm. they, they don't speak English. So as long as they have women who can defy gravity and kill things, <laughs> maybe that that sells in Spain or something. That, that didn't help Eon Flux. <laughs> no, no, no. Nothing was going to help Eon Flux. Uh, um, I saw Eon Flux recently and, and uh, talk about a film that doesn't know what it wants to do. Uh, <laughs> um, it's not really exploitation, which is what half of its audience is craving for. Yeah. It's not really an adaptation of the cartoon, which is what the other half is yeah, craving yeah, yeah. for. It's some sort of weird meditation on government 
but it's also about female empowerment, but it's not really good at either one of those things. <laughs> right. So you're just sort of watching Charlize Theron. I feel, I'm starting to feel bad for her. I didn't think that was possible. I, I liked her... I, I liked her in uh, uh, the Jason Reitman, the young adult. I thought she was really good in that, and that was that was interesting. No, I think she has some talent. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah she's beautiful, but she's. I think she can act, but whew, I'm still trying to that like Prometheus put me into like a state of, <laughs> of cardiac arrest of shock of like I, I have friends who thought that was a good movie, and I, I was I, I thought it was a good movie. Wow! Yeah. Wow! <laughs> I was, yeah. Wow! I, I, like like Prometheus, I I was trying like hell. I I was pumped. Yeah. I was there. I had my three D glasses on. I was I people saying Matt, you're being said. Oh, no, I was there to have a good time. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted I wanted some aliens. I wanted some British actors in peril. I was down. I wanted slime. I wanted kills. I was yeah. ready to watch half naked men with that stand like eighteen feet tall. Put their I was I was taking all that stuff. But man. Oh man, it's like I don't even know where to start with that. So you know, it's just like people can complain about the plot, and the plot we could go, we could do an entire show on that. Right, right. But I would direct viewer listeners to the Red Letter Media thing, which pretty much nailed that. I was just shocked at how little, how bad the characters were. Like literally, I didn't care about any of those people. Like literally, the rock and roll geologist being the all-time worst. It's like he's a geologist. Right, he is brought on this stupid rock where there's only one of everybody. So God forbid somebody gets injured. I guess the mission goes up. But let's not even get into that. He's a rock and roll geologist. Get it, rock and yeah, roll. I got it. Oh, did I get? I didn't want it. It was like herpes. Uh, um, you don't want it, but you got but it. You got it. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, so he's a rock and roll geologist. He doesn't ever collect rock samples. He's the these are the worst scientists in the history of humanity. Yeah, like yeah. he's he doesn't even have like a little those little uh, those little picks with the thing to yeah, put the rock. Yeah. And he's like, "There's nothing for me to do. The whole planet is rock. Clearly, you could take a sample or something. They flew you uh, in yeah. cryostasis for two years. <laughs> he's like, no, nope, no, nope, nothing for nothing me to, to me. nothing for me to do. I'm gonna go wander off here and touch this slime for some reason with my bare hands." Yeah, or the or the biologist who sees the snake-like thing and is like, no, I got this, I got yeah, this. The, the biologist who was terrified of everything two scenes before that suddenly grows courage out of nowhere. It's like, I mean, I, 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 I just like, I mean, it was the the every character sucked. Uh, yeah. I, I actually I heard this from a friend of a friend's, and this is distance, but I thought this yeah. was the sign of how old I'm getting. I'm 39. Um, <laughs> This guy was dating a younger girl, okay. and he took her to go see Prometheus. And she, he, he, she, the girl he took out said, "You know, I thought that uh, what's her face, the dragon tattoo girl, yeah. I thought she was better than Ripley." And he, he said, "He said I have to stop dating her." And I, <laughs> I, I understood his pain. I really no, did. Yeah, I would have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's like that's a deal breaker for me too. I, and I, I don't normally. I'm pretty tolerant. I just know, you know, it's like my love affair with movies is different. Yeah. But I mean. I guess I should get back to my bio. All the guy knows where that where where yeah, we're at. We're just, here, we're, just gonna, we're just gonna skip to the end of what you're doing now. So you're teaching and uh, uh, and you got this. Uh, uh, is it a short? I never asked. Is it a short? Or it is a short. Of, okay. Basically, what my man Gail Bedecker in it? Yeah, <laughs> no, it's doing really well. Yeah. Um, uh, Basically, uh, essentially, what happened was uh, I, when I graduated college, I thought I was that people were just going to genuflect to my brilliance, and I was going right. to make these 
these great movies and um essentially that didn't happen uh i was lucky i worked in television and uh feature film production for years and uh while i was working for john waters um I was asked to start teaching at Towson, which yeah. is now my primary job. And in fact, you were student 001. In fact. <laughs> yeah. uh, you were in one of my. You were in the first class I ever taught. Yeah. Uh, um, and uh, so I, I love teaching, and um, I made a film that kind of got me this job. I, I have a feeling it was more John Waters, but officially, right. it was my first film that got me this job. Uh, par, partita. Partita, yes. Yeah. And. Um, I thought that that was going to be an amazing film that everybody was going to love. And basically, I did everything wrong. Not The film is not bad, but I, you have to, uh, when you're making a motion picture, and this is uh, a painful way to learn this, but I did, um, everybody gets concerned about the quality of the movie, which is where you'd like to be. That's, right. that's your goal, is to get to the point where you're just worried about making something decent. Yeah. Um, what essentially you should be worrying about is business. Right, yeah, yeah. And, and it's... Nobody can master that. I mean, I know a lot, uh, and, but I'm also smart enough to get people who know more than I do and get a lot of them in different areas. No one human being, it's so complicated, can master every right. financial nuance. And and I didn't do any of that. I just went and put everything on my credit card and Pay the hell with yeah. the law, and and so <laughs> even if I had been more successful with Partita than I was, I wouldn't have been successful. Right, right. You know, it's like people. But you want you want to got you wouldn't have got to direct like the feature. I wouldn't have got. Nobody company. would have been able to show it. I violate okay. like every copyright. Oh, okay. Uh, I yeah. not just copyright laws. I didn't get releases from the actors. I think I could. They would have given them to me. Uh, I had no contracts in terms of who gave what money. You know, right, right. there's they. You know, there's I didn't do. Clear Clearance, which is a very complicated thing that involves the art department. So any time I have any piece of logoing, I would have had to pay. I mean, there's so many things that I didn't do that I didn't feel I needed to do. But uh, truthfully, film festivals now won't show movies, some of the bigger ones, without clearance. Right. Uh, um, so it, it, there's all this, this material that you need to know, and there's this myth that the, of the, uh, the single dad who... Spends twenty thousand dollars and makes a personal movie, and then yeah, yeah. It, it becomes the next El Mariachi or something. That's those days are gone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, they're long. Those days gone. weren't really ever. No, uh, it ever was here a, either. It, it, it was it was the myth. It was yeah. the America streets paved with gold myth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, um, and uh, so for me, uh, I. I really wanted. I, I learned a lot, so I decided to do it the right way. And doing it the right way is expensive. Right, it, it is really expensive. And the other thing I learned from Partita was um, from this first film was nobody cared about my, what the hell my movie was about. It's the most depressing <laughs> reality in the world. You right. you show the movie at festivals or to uh, audiences or whatever. And before the movie, at all, all the only question anyone asks, there are two questions. Okay. One, who's in it? Yeah, that was, and, that was the one I thought. Okay. And B, how much does it cost? Ah, okay. And you would think that what's it about would come up? Never, no. never. <laughs> so I, I, I learned a lot. It was a great experience. I put me into a huge debt. I was teaching. I was working for John Waters, right. and I was basically living with my aunt in a state of poverty that <laughs> I, I, I'm still almost out of. 
So wait, did you get to did it get into some festival? Did you get to travel? I, I played it played in New York, Los Angeles, and Australia. And I only went to New York. I couldn't afford to go to Los Angeles oh, or Australia. Um, okay. So it's, it did play a few places, and I've shown it a couple other places. I got a copy. Yeah, yeah. I gave some away, and I think I know, it's now up on Vimeo. Um, oh, okay. Um, so there's like seven people have yeah. watched your movie. Yeah, no, I'll uh, like it. I'll like it. You'll get nine people who watched yeah, it. Yeah, I'm more worried about the, 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 the Turner Exhibit website, which is what I'm working on now. But okay. um, regardless... Uh, so I learned. I learned a lot. I learned a lot through my mistakes, and I was. It was an experimental film where I was sort of using um, what I perceived to be the directing approach of Mike Lee, and I was working with all local actors. Right. We we had a it, rather. Than, I'd written a script, and one of the problems that I had had as a writer that I've actually solved, I think, is everyone tends to have my voice. Okay. Every character yeah, sounds yeah. like me. It's a real problem. Yeah, I, that's that's the yeah. Like you, uh, the, the few times I've written stuff, like I will intentionally, or like I've thought of, like I have to like do the complete opposite of what I think for this person, kind of thing. Yeah. It, it's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard. I've gotten better at it, thankfully. But uh, that was a real issue. So I thought I would combat that. I had a great idea for a movie, and I was a small ensemble piece. So I got a bunch of actors together, lo- good local actors, or mm-hmm. and. Um, we didn't have a script. We had a scenario, and we had scene breakdowns, right, right. and and everything that happens in the movie was well documented. And I wrote character backgrounds and everything. And for Partita, we would just rehearse it like a play. And I would okay. just say, "Your character wants this. Your character wants that. There are a couple things in the room. You can add things if you want to. Yeah. Go." And I would just record these rehearsals over two, three months. And when we went to shoot the movie. It wasn't improv because we we had settled we'd come right, on a script but we it was a collaborative effort right right, you know, right. Um, where we had worked on developing and I thought this would be fresher it would give some different voices there are nuances yeah. and I still think it's a good idea I think I needed ever more time um, it's not like I said I, I sometimes I'm too hard on Partita but I was trying too hard I think at that point okay so I had all these painful lessons that everybody who makes movies learns you'll never meet a filmmaker who who won't who won't tell you that the next one will be better because right, right, right. you know sometimes you always learn things and it, and basically making a movie is like um, is like doing some uh, you, you do you, you, it's like recording yourself doing something that you think you're great at right right and while you're doing it you're like oh man I am awesome <laughs> and then you play it back and it's like where did that war come from and that's not fun oh my you know yeah. and, 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 and only you get to do that for a year so it's just like watching yourself die over each other oh, yeah, yeah. so psychologically abusive it's not even funny because it's something you wrote like yeah, a year ago and now you're just like I've heard this every way possible and, 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 and you, you get to dwell on your mistakes it's like marrying the wrong person <laughs> it's like I, I, like why why I, I wouldn't do that if I knew that you know right and so eventually you get to the point where you're ready to do another one well Teaching was great for me because it's sort of I, 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 when you're working on professional films as I had, mm-hmm. it's never about the the reason why you're. It's about money right. and paperwork yeah. and ego, and that's fine. You know, it's what it, it it's what it is. Yeah. But the, you, the, the few times I freelance, the that that you helped me out get, it was like you realize there's five people making a movie, and unless you're one of those five people, you're just. 
yeah. either doing paperwork, like you said, or just out in the sticks making sure there's enough cups or something. Yeah. And again, it's, I don't want to denigrate that experience because yeah. you learn a lot yeah, of stuff. Um, but that's not why. Nobody gets into to, to making movies because they want to fill out uh, Taft-Hartley forms. Right. Nobody, exactly. no, nobody, nobody is really... That's not why you go to school. That's not why you fall in love uh, with, with movies. And, uh, and so I... I just dropped out at the height of my success. I dropped out to make Partita. That set me into a two-year poverty run. Uh, I ended up getting a major break and getting a job with job with John Waters, yeah. and then a teaching. bigger break teaching. And I had gotten enough out of debt that I said I wanted to do it again. But the entire approach for what I'm doing now was to do it the right way. I I, I, I was able to get a couple of producers, uh, Lindsay Mercer, Alex Hedstrom, Paul Weiss. And um, and the goal was between the four of us, we had enough professional experience that we knew what forms to get. We could raise money, right. um, which is where I'm working on now. And we could get actual actors you've heard of. That was, right. a, that was, a, that was a huge thing for us. Was to get actors we'd heard of, um, and I think because uh, you said this earlier. Well, you said like people always ask uh, who's in your movie, but like the festival second, it isn't like you don't need a world beater like you know Tom Cruise or anything. No. But, like a Dave, I don't even know how to pronounce that. David David Costable. Yeah, David Costable. Like people, but oh, he's been in this, he's been in this. Yeah, yeah, that guy's uh, interesting. Kind of. Thing, I, yeah. I mean, he just got he's he's doing. I I saw David uh, originally. We looked at some other actors, mm-hmm. and uh, I wrote the script. And I thought the script was great. Right. I really did. And I, I'm not that kind of a person. I'm very self-deprecating. So it was a little bit of an alien feeling. Like I wrote the script. I'm like the script is good. <laughs> yeah. And I, like that doesn't sound like me at all. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, and uh, I'm like, no, this is real. I got something here. And I showed it yeah. to some people, and people liked it. But again, you're dealing with friends, so right, you don't right. really know until you work way outside of your circle exactly, if yeah. you've got something. And it's a very experimental script. And uh, um, so when I uh, basically what the way the way to get actors is honestly is you have to pay them right and you have to get a casting agent okay so to do that you have to take you seriously so your script has to be registered with the Writers Guild I registered with a copy you've got to go through all all these steps, all right. the right formats. And because they won't even read it if it's not properly registered, because you're not professional. You right. have to have you, you. We have a we had a real company that we formed. We had lawyers, accountants, all of those things to make us legitimate. And we had raised some money, um, not enough, but we knew that the cast would help us get more Baltimore. money. Okay. So I was thinking about working in Baltimore, and it didn't work out for a variety of reasons with Baltimore casting people. Okay. And I was and. Uh, th- Somebody said, well, why don't you just go to New York? And I said, okay. And I just called. I went through every New York casting agent. I went through the New York production guide. And I saw this woman, Donna DeSetta, and she had done some really expensive. She did Die Hard 4. She did Wanted. Uh, oh, okay. yeah. She did the Tom Cruise thing, Night and a Day. Uh, uh, night and Day? Night and Day, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but she'd also done some shorts and some indies. and some. So she had like a, a wide oh, range, and I thought, well, this is somebody who might be able to get to actors, but at the same time would be sympathetic to my plight. Right, right. And I called her, just out of the blue, cold called her. And uh, she was like, I don't know. I don't know if I... I don't want to do this kind of film. And I said, well, we can pay you. And she goes, well, let me read the script and see if it's interesting. And she 
I gave it to her on a Thursday. She called me back on a Monday. She took it home on the weekend. She loved the script. She goes, "This is actually really good. <laughs> well, people, go. people could do this." And, and that was that was huge. How many, was, how many uh, pages did it turn out to be? Uh, about twenty five. Okay. The idea I wanted to do a feature, but at the same time, if I had done, I'm I'm trying to do this film. It's going to cost me about a hundred thousand, give right. or take. A feature. I, everything goes up, and right. not just the time it takes to make it, but the actor salaries and everything. And uh, I would have been looking at well over a million dollars to do right. this, and I didn't think I could raise a million dollars. I figured, I, and so the big challenge with this was figure out a way to, that short films can be profitable. And uh, you would think it would be co- keep the cost down, but we're actually using the Hollywood model. Right, right. There, right now, there are more outlets for short films than have ever existed. Right. Yeah, yeah. And but the problem is, most of them are shot by somebody with a handy cam, and they're <laughs> clever. So if we have a short film with real production values, yes, a real cast, actually made with people who work on real movies that you yeah. have seen. You know, I, I the crew was great. We had crew, you know, Bill Gray and Lorenzo Milan, Jeff Callow. I mean, we had people who are working on, you know, David Fincher stuff. Right, right. You know, real talented people. And they wanted to do this. And the re- way that you're able to... It's it's literally like uh, negotiating foreign policy. Uh, um, you have like a, They always talk about the first Desert Storm uh, War. The war so good it demanded a bigger sequel. Uh, 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 um, straight out of Hollywood. Uh, straight out of Hollywood. Uh, they always this nice talk, little compact thing and you blow it up. Yeah, it's like, boy, this really works. We need to do it again. Uh, 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 um, the hunt for Saddam. It's like they could have killed him, but they knew the box office would be so much better on the sequel. Yeah, that's, that's why Vader doesn't die in the first Star Wars, yeah, right? Exactly, exactly. Uh, um, but they, they, the reason they always cited for not going after Saddam was the 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 uh, the coalition. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, like it, it, that, it, that's it's what making a movie is like. You have these very tenuous deals that can only be worked out with people. It's like if they if it's the right week, right? I'll work for half my rate, but you have it's right. only going to be nothing a week. else. There's nothing yeah. else I have until it, December, yeah. so you got me for this week kind of thing. Exactly. So it's it's literally like spinning plates. You're or herding cats or take a cliche, but. Uh, 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 <laughs> Uh, pick one. It, it's all those things. It's just so much wheeling and dealing, yeah. and uh, it's so tenuous. And uh, we actually had um, Dennis O'Hare in the film. Okay, uh, good actor. He's hot on. Uh, uh, tr- he was on True Blood as the okay. Vampire King of Mississippi. He's been in a million movies. Okay, okay. Uh, and and now he's on an American Horror Story, and that's what killed me. As American, I had him booked three, four months before shooting, yeah. and it was like they uh, they liked the pilot of an American Horror Story so much they pushed it up three weeks and he wasn't available anymore. Uh, and, uh, uh, I mean, we got J.D. Cullum who is really great, so I'm not angry about that. I mean, the film is fine. Um, and uh, J.D.'s been in a million movies. He does a lot of George Clooney stuff. I, I guess he was just on the newsroom, the Aaron Sorkin show, yeah, yeah, yeah. last week. So I haven't J- seen last week. Yeah. I, and, and uh, I mean, it's funny because he's also the voice of the Frosted Mini Wheat, the little animated Frosted. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so every time I watch those commercials, I flip out because it's J.D. Uh, um, that made my mother really happy. I, I was like, oh, the animated Frosted Mini Wheat's in your... Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Uh, um, and uh, but you, you the, the thing was, I would send these scripts out mm-hmm. to people through the casting agent, and I wasn't offering a lot of money. I was offering some, uh, and, uh, and and so 
I, you're, it's a terrifying thing. You're sending it out to actors who are a little bit bigger than you think they will take. You know, Tom okay. Cruise, it's not going to do this. Right, 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 right. But there's like a level of actor, and and I got the best mail I've ever gotten. My, uh, the I, I only two, three people rejected me. Okay. One person just never responded. Um, they just said no. Okay. The other two were better than uh, the best letters I've ever gotten. Uh, the first one was a three-page letter talking about how it was the best script, and he just couldn't do it because it was a conflict. Right, right, He had right. something else. Oh, that's great. And, and, and I, it was like, it was like I, you know, and then the second one was uh, an actor I've always loved, worshipped, and wanted so badly. And and he had his agent call me and said, "Listen, he couldn't do it, but he want he has great taste in script, and he just got put on Boss, and that was a thing." Oh, okay. So it's like I, I'm the king of like HBO and cable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Exactly, where I yeah. live. If they were on, if they were, on, if they were a hot cable star, that was yeah. where I was living. But um, I, the guy's agent actually, because um, I, I was originally thinking about going older than I did, okay. and and the guy's agent on the first sent me a letter said, "Listen, he can't do it, but this script is so good, I want to do it." So it was like Ari Gold joined my team, <laughs> uh, essentially, and 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 uh, basically they sent me a, like five people. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I was like, "Listen, I want." My, one of my clients and one of them was, was David and okay. my casting agent just like this never happens I got what you mean it never happens casting a, uh, agents don't go uh, because they're not going to make any money off of you they right, get a right. small percentage but if you're paying it's like if they, they spend more at lunch than they do working on you know my, it's not worth yeah. it to them to go to bat for me you, you know you're, you've got something Matt and I'm like, okay, great, because we'll take a look at these actors, and they were five decent actors. Right, right. I mean, yeah, Dave. Dave I've old. seen him, and uh, I saw he, him a little bit on the wire, but his his season of Breaking Bad, he was he was really he good was and, he was great, and that's how I and he's he's in Lincoln, the Steven Spielberg film, yeah, comes yeah, out yeah. This, and, and he just got cast, I think, as he's third build in the new Steven Soderbergh movie. So really, yeah, he's okay. going, he's doing well. I mean, he's really he's crazy. I don't remember seeing him in Magic Mike. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, that was me. Uh, uh, um, Photoshop's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so um, uh, but uh, um, it's amazing what you can do with baby oil and a computer Uh, um, so Uh, I've I've done things with baby oil and a computer but I don't think it's what you're talking about (laughs) Uh, um, but you got David on there I got it it basically I said it to I I love Breaking Bad I was a huge Breaking Bad fan and he was not actually probably at the time the biggest name on that the listed, but I'm such a fan, and I was like, yeah, I like, I think this guy can do it, yeah. you know. And and my producer before I even talked to her about it said, oh, it's your boy from Breaking Bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, all right, I got permission. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, and it was, it was the best move I could have made. Yeah. He 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 is getting more and more famous. Right, right. The thing I found out is actors love this guy. He's he's big in the New York theater world. Okay. And other actors would take me much of it. Like, oh, David, I've always wanted to work with David. I mean, I have so nice. many letters from people like, David, David's a great actor and an awesome guy. Apparently, he's taught acting for... So he was fantastic. And we just built the cast from there. And it was a New York cast. So a lot, I've, every, I've learned two things about New York actors. You're not a real New York actor until you've been on Law & Order... <laughs> 
least four times. <laughs> yeah. Like everybody's demo reel, yeah, like, yeah. like literally, uh, everybody's been on Law and Order yeah. like four or five times. You're not a real actor until that's happened. Yeah, I feel like there's some dinner where they're just all like, "Oh my god, they're taking them away one by one. What are we gonna do?" Yeah, well, because the thing is, they'll they'll have you be a villain and then they'll bring you back and yeah. do like two years. Later. It's the best job, apparently. Yeah. Like it's just like there are five Law and Order things. They kill. They have new guests every week, yeah. and it's just like you know, it's probably probably pays pretty well. It's yeah. like it's like uh, so if you're in New York, you've been on Law and Order. Uh, <laughs> I was a child molester, and then I get killed in this one, and now now I'm a judge. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, I, I looked at so many demo reels of New York actors, and yeah. all of them, it's like, oh god, another episode of Law and Order. <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> um, and uh, and you you learn to like because they have a very specific pattern of how they want you to act. Okay, so. You can't even really judge the actors by that because they. If you watch enough Law and Order demo reels, you realize they are. They're being directed very they, specifically. Very yeah. specifically, there is a very specific thing that you were supposed to do on Law and Order, and you either hit it or you don't. Right, right. You know, so all you can say is, "Yep, that's the Law and Order performance." <laughs> <laughs> they could do that. Right. Um, so, I got these actors. And it was just about raising the money at that point. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really pushed like hell to to raise it. And we didn't quite get there. But I got barely enough. And it was... It was I, I can't even get into how stressful it was. But I was literally on the... I was at a point where I had raised some money. Mm-hmm. And enough to pay the actors. And enough to get some of the crew going. But not quite enough to shoot. And it was at the point where I had to make a decision to pull the plug or pay the actors and we were close enough that I said we're just going to go yeah, for yeah. it and I was literally raising money up until like a day before shooting uh, um, it was beyond tense I was just like it, it was literally like the most suicidal gesture I've ever done Right. but I'd gotten that close and I knew I couldn't do it again you know if right I, right you yeah, just, not, yeah you had to finish and so gotta, gotta Icarus it so I'm still raising money now. Yeah. I mean, uh, and now you're in post. I'm in post, and we've got a rough cut. Uh, it's, we're still doing a couple of still photo sequences, so it's not totally finished, okay. and it's great. So it's kind of like I've got something that's great. I've got to, I've got to do, but I can't afford color or mixing. So, okay. you know, I'm knocking on doors basically at this point. <laughs> I am, I'm like literally trying to direct people to the website and right. just say, listen, this is an investment, and so on and so forth. The only thing that's been good about still raising money even a year later is that the market is getting better for short films. Not like okay. everything we predicted two years ago is actually happening. So that's kind of nice, and it also makes it more viable that there'll be a market for this. But after looking at it, I think I'm pretty confident this will get into festivals. After having been through the process once before, right. it's a better movie. It's a shorter movie. Okay, uh, that's important. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I, I remember uh, everybody was like, once it goes over 15 minutes, it's exponentially harder to, to program. Kind it of. has to be under 30 yeah. or. Or over seventy, and yeah. we're at, we're gonna probably run around twenty three or twenty four, which isn't you'd like to be under fifteen, but you're you're still eligible under thirty, and that's yeah. what the star power does. And again, right, right, all these actors buy you the you know make it because the thing is festivals have to sell it too. Yeah, right, exactly. So they can now throw... And with the guy from, like, you could look the guy yeah, from Lincoln. David, yeah, David Breaking Bad, Lincoln, Flight yeah. of the Concords, Costable, yeah. JD, uh, Newsroom, Column, and then yeah. you know, I've got a Tony Award winner on right, there. So, right, like, it gives the... Fe- it makes it easier for the festivals to, to justify 
that expense. Okay. So yeah. uh, we think we're in a good place, and the film is good. It's really different. Uh, it's called the Turner Exhibit, and it's um, I did something a little radical, or I don't know, maybe it's not radical. Uh, I I dated this girl very briefly, who I, I adored, and still not that do. radical. Uh, no, 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 well, no, no, not that radical, and. I had she said something to me that I had thought but never articulated that actually was sort of interesting and it was wasn't it was it I was thinking about this idea and she sort of gave me unintentionally a push mm-hmm. and that she was talking about seeing Crispin Glover's first movie which is about people with cerebral palsy okay and he cast people with cerebral palsy and they do a whole lot of very crazy things including have sex and other things and she said Matt I just wanted to watch that film because I was curious and I wanted to be anonymous and I didn't want anybody watching me stare but I wanted to stare right right and I had been thinking about this in a very different way for a long time and so I basically um, what I did was the film uh, I, I, I I, my father used to work for the handicapped transportation company when, when sales would dry up. Okay. This is back before the world was as handicap accessible as it is right, now. Right. But we would pick people up. We had a van, or he'd pick people up and, you know, just get them to appointments and do things around. And uh, so I had grown up around a lot of handicapped people of various degrees, from lost a leg in the war to more severe mental handicap. Right. And the thing about this is that when people talk about people who are disabled, it's all like R. Kelly's I Believe I Can Fly right, playing right, in the background right. and the tap me. And I'm not trying to say that it's miserable because it's, it, it's, it's like life. It's miserable, it's good, it's, right, just, right. It, it's complicated. But it's never very accurate. Right. It's it, never nuanced. It's never right. nuanced. It's, they're never people. They're, they're, they're objects. They're, yeah. you know, they're status. They're archetypes. Right. And so I had come up with this weird, very kind of disturbing thriller. Um, and it's really not about people with hand who with uh, this daughter in the film who's disabled. It's about the caregivers and the okay. stress that they feel. Um, if you know, if you have a child with let's say cerebral palsy, that it stops your life in a weird right. way. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, everything about what you had planned is over. Out the window. Yeah, yeah, because of the amount of care. And and I decided I did this uh, without giving too much away. Right. I, I I did this sort of very disturbing thriller about the the, the impact of that stress on, and how pe- nobody knows how to talk to people, right. you know. And the, so it's not like a message of the week film. It actually works right. as like an entertaining thriller. It's not there. There will be no harp music <laughs> and, and no, you know. But it, it it does deal with those things. And I I wasn't sure a was I going too far. Right. You know, was I going to scare people or and and that again, getting that feedback from New York, people were so excited to meet me, it, which is you know, right, right. it's like me really, uh, <laughs> um, and 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 it was just it was a great it was so it's, it's a great experience. It's really unique. Um, it's a major step forward for me. Yeah. Um, and doing all this while teaching, like you can't do, even like. Uh, I mean, it was it, basically I was raising money while teaching. And my summer course ended, I think, the end of June, and mm-hmm. I literally was working about 20 hours a day. We shot last year in okay. the middle of August, and okay. literally, I, I the one thing I said I was going to do on this film was get some sleep. I didn't happen, of course. <laughs> I remember like walking on to set in Ellicott City uh, with like two hours of sleep and just completely like 
gone. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, but the nice thing about it is you've got all these actors who come in from California. You've got this crew. Everybody's right. looking to you. It's like it, the adrenaline kicks in and you're good. Um, and I actually had a nice turnaround. We, I scheduled this, so I did a good job. There was a turnaround in midweek, so there was, like, I actually, for the for this net will net probably never happen again in my directing <laughs> career, but I actually got eight hours of sleep midway uh, through, so I was able to, uh, like, by the end of it, I was positively coherent uh, um, which was may never ever happen again but that's yeah. so I mean you said you, you want to finish it by by the end of the year get it has to be finished finish. by the end of the year okay. so I've got I'm basically uh, to, I, I've got to finish I've got to raise uh, I'd like to raise another 50,000 because part of it is not just finishing the film but it's the way I want to guarantee a return on investment right is um, is that I can market it. Right, right. You know, how I, 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 the most common response I have from people is I don't go see short films. And right. then I point out who's seeing short films and where that market is. But again, if you think about it, if there's a decent short film with people that I've heard of that is playing at festivals, right, right. Um, that is actually being sold, like, does you'd have a huge advantage because it's a small market, but you're doing the one thing that nobody else in that market can do. It's a huge, huge, huge edge. Right. So you know, if we want to get if we get into a festival, we want to get a PR person. We want to get people like Indie Wire and those things to write about us. Right. And uh, the fact that we'd be the only short film that people has a publicist doesn't nothing's guaranteed right right but it, but it yeah. gives us a, it gives us as good a chance of being that film that people wanted that, as anything and so yeah. we've really worked this out and I've talked to people who've done shorts and they're, they're all like that's a really bold plan we've never tried it and so we spent two years working that out so mm-hmm. we think we think we're in, if we can get that 50 grand or you know and we're, we're sort of grinding away I, I expect a picture lock within a month Okay. Um, and then at that point, I'm just out of cash. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it, we will have it'll be cut, and so then it comes down to sound mixing, color yeah. promotion, and uh, uh, you know you got to. It's stuff no one thinks about, but you got to buy posters. You have yeah. to. You have to do a press. You have to do a press kit that costs a little bit of money. Um, and so there's there's just it's a million it's it's a million little things coming right. at you. But we've really thought it through when we budgeted and, and we're ready to go. So and now uh, when you plan a wedding, you'll be. Fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's the, I mean, that's the thing. It's like I just made the decision. It was like I, I, I'm doing well at Towson. I've, I've worked in major films, yeah. and so I, you know, I came from Michigan, and you know, uh, that kind of. I mean, right now I'm teaching a Lars von Trier class, and yeah. I paid for that. So last I mean, year was a uh, Kubrick, right? Kubrick was uh, I did Cronenberg with you. Kubrick a year later, mm-hmm. and then they I took a couple of years off because uh, okay. those courses are hard to teach. And this summer, I got to teach the uh, films of Lars von Trier, which you know, yeah. it's nothing quite like getting a bunch of students and watching Antichrist uh, <laughs> and getting to write papers about it. And uh, um, but I, I, I've done a lot of things, and I, I just sort of made the decision that I wasn't happy and yeah. that I wanted to prove that I could do this, and that's where I'm at right now. So um, uh, I'm hoping that. Uh, 
that it, it's a make or break thing, and I just decided, yeah. you know, there's nothing worse than dying with regret. Right. You know what yeah, I'm yeah. saying? It's like I, and so if it's, I think I know it's good, so I'm not worried about that. I know that sounds confident, but it's yeah, like, yeah. you know, I've stared you at. You have it. to be. Yeah. I don't. I'm not bored of it yet. And the fact that I've looked at it for hundreds of hours and it doesn't bore me that's yeah. uh, that's its own weird form of success. <laughs> uh, but it's 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 good, and if people like it. That's great. Then there'll be more. If they don't like it, then I will probably be working North Avenue to make make money back. Uh, um, hey man, don't, but, don't stand on on, but, on the Barksdale corners. Is all I'm saying. No, 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 uh, no. I'm not hitting Sandtown Winchester at all. Uh, I'm not that hard anymore. Uh, um, but but uh, you know, so I you know at the at the very least, I, I really I I I, I follow through on my conviction and. Oh. I could do an entire another show on what not to do, but <laughs> and we will do that show. Yeah, thanks, Bainbridge, man. Thank you for. Can that, you believe man. it's been like one forty-five? I, I can't actually. <laughs> I, I, and it's funny. I only I only talked about uh, like my love of trashy films. I'm actually a really yeah. I'm a horrifying arts film snob. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm out there talking about Black Caesar. <laughs> <laughs> and it's 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 it all like it's not that much different than you know uh, what's Pariah or something, you know. Yeah. Uh, Black Caesar at least has an awesome jam. If you guys are are, are, are downloading some soundtracks, I recommend yeah, yeah. the Black Caesar soundtrack. is fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you, Bainbridge. Uh, any any plugs? What's, what's the website? The Turner Exhibit uh, uh, website? Uh, the Turner Exhibit website is uh, www.yearoftheratproductions.com. Okay. Year of the Rat, like the Chinese Zodiac. <laughs> I thought it was a cool idea because I live in Baltimore. I'm Year of the Rat. Yeah, I thought yeah. that'd be great. When you're soliciting money and you have to call up and go, uh, um, hello. Hello, uh, this is Matt from Year of the Rat Productions LLC. Uh, like, yeah. I never will, never yeah. have a cool name again. Yeah. Next I, time, it's just going to be like Bainbridge Inc. or something. It's going to be Woodworkers Incorporated. But yeah, www.yearoftherapproductions.com. Yeah. All right, thanks, Bainbridge. Thank you, sir. All okay. right, back in uh, back in December when it's done and, and after, <laughs> after the films, after the festivals. Yeah, yeah, no, I'll come back. I promise. All right, all right. <laughs> that was great. It was great. It was fun. It was just good to chat. Uh, oh, wait. I never... Oh, you oh. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, interesting conversation with Matthew Bainbridge. You can see, uh, don't have cool names for your production companies, apparently. Uh, Black Caesar was a great film. Uh, you know, the horror stories and, and trying to get a movie made and, and all it takes and the casting process and all that. And, hey, it's got Gail Bedecker in it for all you Breaking Bad fans. So when it comes out, I'm sure you're going to be pleasantly surprised. And, and he told me some of the other people he got he could have had and like they're the people when you see the name you don't know them but when you see their picture like oh my god you like you, you got to talk to that guy and oh my god you got that guy from that thing um very 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 good exciting stuff so yeah again that um that website where you can check out all the information for the turn exhibit is yearoftherapproductions.com everything is spelled i've been to it it's a pretty cool website everything is spelled exactly like that so like T-D-D-A or whatever. It's just yearoftherapproductions.com. Um, I'll put up the link for the 
put up the link for the uh, for the Vimeo so you can see his uh, his first movie Partita. I've seen it. It's it's interesting. He likes it. Eh, it's cool. Um, so yeah, there it is. Another another successful episode of the podcast. Uh, again, uh, check out the Madcap uh, podcast. Check out the Tumblr uh, for a debatable podcast. Check out my man Nick the Wonder who does all the music that you've heard on this podcast so far. Uh, and as always, thanks for coming out tonight. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with me, and I appreciate that.